three cinephiles have come together to bring you strong opinions, controversial statements, epic battles, and plenty of fun. Introducing our host, the man who watches 52 movies a week, drinks 52 beers a movie, loves women but hates the woman, from the foreign land of Canada, our host, Mood616. He is widely known as the man who talks too much. His worst enemies are Postmaster P and Pee Wee Herman. He said Hellraiser was overrated and Leprechaun Origins wouldn't suck. He's the full-blooded half-Mexican, JP. Finally, we have the man who doesn't talk enough. He is best friends with Sean S. Cunningham. His favorite horror movie is Gummo. He is your favorite Jew and mine, Jeremy. Together, they are known for extending a helping hand to Vampircons everywhere. They are the 22 shots of moods and horror. Oh yeah. What's going on, everybody? The 22 Shots of Moods and Horror is coming at you live. This is episode 51. I am your host, Mood616, and of course, I've got my hetero life mate with me, Double Shot J, also known as JP. What's going on, homies? What's up, dude? I guess I didn't have to pluralize that, did I? No, no, because there's only one of me, one of your hetero life mates here today. That is right. So in case you people didn't understand the intro, it was just the two of us this week. Jeremy is not with us. And yeah, so we're going to be rocking episode he died. 51. <laughs> Unfortunately, he passed away, and this is how we're breaking it to everybody. <laughs> um, no, he's uh, he's working on a movie right now, so he cannot be with us. Our schedules are really not lining up too well these days, so we... Yeah, we- we actually had a few more shows planned after episode 50. We was going to end on 55. Uh, yeah. But shit really did get crazy. Like we anticipated that it would be. That's why we was going to cut it at 55. But we didn't really anticipate it to start so soon. It We knew it was coming. We knew everything was going to get hectic. That's why we stopped last year at around you know, the same time. Because everything's in the summer gets everybody's schedules going crazy. And it happened again. It just happened faster than we expected. So this is actually going to be our last episode for uh, this season besides the uh, summer shows that we have planned as well. That's right. That's right. So I think what we're going to do, we missed about three or four episodes. Um, (laughs) I think some of those episodes we're probably just going to push into season three because we still want to do them. Yeah, great Uh, ideas. We have some great shows. Yeah, so, you know, and like JP said, we're going to be – Attempting to do a couple shows in the midsummer so the break doesn't seem so long. And, uh, but that, you know, that'll keep us fresh too a little bit. So look, be on the lookout for those. But, we, uh, we pumped a lot of episodes into season two, way more. We ended on 22, uh, yeah. the last time we ended. This time we end on 51, minus the 22, of course. Moods, what's so, the math on that? 29 episodes this, this season. So we did better than last time, last year. That's not bad. That's not bad. You know, like, you know, we had some really good runs there where we didn't miss any episodes, but unfortunately, you know, life calls and work calls actually for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of my problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this just came really, like, not really out of, you know, all of a sudden, but uh, we knew things were going to get hectic with Jeremy and stuff. And then things just unfortunately got crazy with me too at the same time. And I can't keep so, employees at my workplace. So yeah. I was doing, I, like, there was, that one week where we didn't do the show, I actually uh, didn't have a full day off. Like during my regular, like two, you know, you get two days a week off. I didn't mm-hmm. even have a full one day off that week. It was insane. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. was terrible. Yeah, you know, schedule change at work for me going into summer ops, and we just got so busy, and yeah, 
that's that's what life is, man. You just have to expect those things. So not a big deal. We got, uh, like you said, some more lined up for the summer, and we're going to push the other ones. And, um, yeah, so we'll be back in full force, probably starting beginning of September again. So, yeah. What is the uh, what's on the agenda for this show here tonight, though? What which one is this? This episode is the top ten horror films of nineteen sixty eight. So kind of interesting, you know. I've actually never seen anybody compile a list of their you know their top ten favorite horror films of nineteen sixty eight. So pretty interesting, pretty interesting stuff. So how are you feeling about it? Uh, I think it's really cool. It, it's an era where I really was not that familiar, and we kind of discussed why we why nineteen sixty eight, right? Because we wanted to do more top ten shows. Why should we limit ourselves to just the one at the end of the year for, you know, the top ten of two thousand thirteen and fourteen that we did? Why not go back and retroactively go through other years? And we mm-hmm. figured, where should we start? Well, modern horror kind of starts right around 1968, so why not start there? And I wasn't—I've only seen like three or four films from that year, so I had to go back and check out, you know, a bunch more things that I had never mm-hmm. seen. I had a great time, fun time doing it. That's why we set, you know, set this show so many months ahead of when we first came up with the idea. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting year to do because there's some uh, very notable classic films from that year. A lot of mediocre films, a lot of bad ones. So, you know, it's kind of all over the place. It's like every year, really. But it's a pretty interesting year, actually. And, you know, like you said, the start of modern horror. So why not start with 1968? And plus, you know, the idea came, like you said, you know, we didn't want to limit ourselves to, you know, one top 10 show a year. You know, but uh, like I said, I'd never seen anyone ever do a top 10 list like this before, you know, from a specific year like that. And yeah, I so, never seen one from a podcast. I might have seen a lit like lists on in article form, uh, but definitely not for a podcast. I don't. Oh know. yeah, probably an article form for sure. But uh, yeah, so 1968. Yeah, yeah. We'll probably do more of these type of lists, you know, next season because I I had a lot of fun doing it. To be honest, I thought it was a yeah. cool idea. And on that note, if you guys have any, you know, ideas for specific top 10 shows, throw them our way. You know, we consider everything. We usually have, you know, we plan our, you know, our shows quite far in advance, um, yeah. which we haven't done. I mean, we're like I said, we're pushing a couple shows from this season to next season, but we haven't planned for season three. So, you know, throw those ideas out. We're always willing to, you know, absorb yeah. those and, and give them a chance anyways. So I wish I knew who to credit for the uh, top 10 or the top 50 uh, influential films of the last 50 years because somebody did mention that and we we picked that idea but I, I forgot who mentioned that you know idea. what that's yeah that's a good um yeah you know what i actually have no idea i want to say it was somebody like brandon that probably you know he's a regular caller on the show um yeah but i i can't give him full credit because i'm not 100 percent sure but uh, that was a great idea and we rolled with it and it was a fun show. It was a fun show. So Yeah. I actually was going through some of the statistics on that show. Um, I actually wrote down a lot of them, but I lost the notebook. But the most uh, amount of films from the de- a decade was actually the 70s. Uh, mm-hmm. Out of the 50 films that we picked, the 70s had the most. Yeah. And, that actually uh, makes a lot of sense, though. Yeah, it does. It but I, I thought like the 80s, you know, I thought like there would have the 80s probably would have won that. But no, it was mm-hmm. the 70s. And Wesley Craven was, of course, the only director to f- be featured three times. 
and, and and that basically just proves another point right there. You know how unbiased that list really was because me and you, I think we share the eighties is our favorite decade for for horror films. Oh, yeah, for sure, like for personal. So and then you know it turns out that this list actually had more seventies films on it. Um, you know, another note was a couple films that were on the top 50 list. I don't even care for, you know, and stuff. So, but you know, we did get feedback on that. I really appreciate that too. Um, there was a couple comments stating, you know, how much they enjoyed the list and how, how much we broke it down and the reasons for why the films were on there. But it was more due to the fact that we were being so unbiased with the list, yeah. you yeah, know, and I really, really appreciate it. At least people comments. got I that. Ex- I was expecting to get a little more like, heat thrown our way but i was surprised to see that everybody kind of a lot of people actually kind of like accepted the list for one like like yeah Mm. those are some pretty good picks and two like nobody was like a dick about it either yeah i thought for sure we were going to get some major major flack especially with the number 50 pick you know i thought for sure that was going to start people off in the wrong direction they're just gonna be like fuck this list this is garbage you know kind of thing but we really didn't get that negative feedback i think there was a couple people were like whoa that that seems really high on the list but you know everything i thought was explained quite well you know so it was easy to understand why they were in that order and stuff so but yeah, and, thanks to everybody for commenting and, 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 you know, listening to the podcast too, because, you know, we did put a lot of effort into that, you know, so yeah. thank you. And I think that the most impressive thing about that list was the, the, uh, steady pace that we maintained. Cause we was really nervous about that going in. Cause we are so long winded. It is ridiculous. We have <laughs> the worst, like we have the worst, uh, you know, ability to uh maintain a appropriate amount of speed through reviews and stuff like that so i i was we was all surprised when we finished like wow we're doing really good (laughs) yeah we've been known to get into some uh some arguments and jeremy will sit back remember i think it was last season we actually had a conversation about uh sean cunningham and uh (laughs) like it went on that's one of my least favorite moments of the entire show i know right that thing just went on forever and ever and i I remember i think there even was comments like hey you guys want to move on i'm like well there is show notes you can just skip to the next yeah i I edited a lot (laughs) of that conversation out too that was the first time that i actually did some editing like i think right around that area era was like when i was like okay maybe we shouldn't just let everything you know be like completely unprofessional and just let it natural like maybe we should edit a little bit i think i think the show has come a long way though you know those first bunch of episodes that we did it was just like it was straight up raw footage man like what you there was literally no editing for i would say like you know 15 16 17 episodes at least (laughs) it's actually kind of crazy how long it went um (laughs) it actually kind of blows my mind uh I don't know those older ones, but you know, the, and we all I, got I, new mics and stuff. It like it, it, some of those older episodes, like people say like, Oh, you know, I have been listening since episode one or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, that's cool that someone, they've stuck with us that long. And then you have other people to say like, I just found your show like, you know, six months ago, but I, but I have listened to every episode because I went back and started from episode one and went all the way through. And I'm like, and you stuck around. (laughs) It does kind of make me cringe a little bit too. Cause you know, right at the start of the second season, we all picked up the same mics and I think the quality got a lot better. And, you know, obviously we were very, you know, we got a lot more comfortable with each other, you know, probably halfway through the first season or whatever. Yeah. It just became more natural. But I think it's the editing though, too, you know, just here, you know, just those little things that uh, make a big difference. But yeah, once again, getting really long-winded. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, guys. JP here. And as you guys know, Jeremy is not on this episode, but he did send me a few clips to let his presence be known. So it still feels like he's a part of the last episode of the season. So what you're about to hear next is a clip explaining why he was unable to record this episode. And then you'll be back with me and Moods and we'll hear more from Jeremy later. All right. What's going on, everyone out there? in the world of the 22 shots of moods and horror world as you guys have probably noticed i am not on this week's show mainly because of the fact that if you haven't been following me on the 22 shots of moods and horror facebook page that you probably don't know that i'm interning on this um this warner brothers not warner brothers but it's a it's a you know it has the possibility to get picked up by Warner Brothers according to the talk that's been going on lately on set and things like that. So it's not going to be a huge, huge, huge release to be completely honest, I think in my opinion, but at least it has the chance to be something from what I've heard from the chit-chat. So I'm interning on this film that's in the city for a month. Um, we've been shooting 24 days uh, you know, 12 hour days every day. And then I had to get back home from downtown. So that's another two hours every day. So, you know, it's a pretty 14 hour job, 14 hours a day, every day, six days a week. So I really haven't had much time to do anything at all. Um, you know, I haven't had time to watch movies or anything like that. And, um, or, you know, even keep on writing like I, like I did during the school year. So I've just been extremely busy, but it's going really, really well. Um, you know, the first few days, you know, I had, you know, I had to get hazed. You know, everybody on set, you know, fucked with me quite a bit. But you know, that's to be expected. You know, I'm the intern, I'm the new guy, not getting paid, not doing, you know, never been on a set like that before. So you know, it's kind of expected that that has a chance to happen, and of course it did. But now that we're, you know, pretty five to six days in, people are starting to respect me a little more. I'm learning a lot. A lot more than I've learned in film school, and I've been there for three and a half years now, and, um, you know, I've learned way more in six days than I have in three years of film school. So that should tell you something about how useless film school really is. From last show, we had a contest, right? Yes, we did have a contest, and I think what we're going to do right now um, is getting to the first drawing. Do you want to explain how we're going to do this, JP? Yeah, okay. So basically, we had 18 voicemails. Uh, and we decided we're going to take nine of those people who called in, um, and those will be the winners. But we're going to put all of the 18 entrants into – I got a country country crock butter container here with them all in it. It's all dried out. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's washed out. It's, it doesn't got butter all over the place. Um, and uh, we're going to pick out three now, and these three will be uh, the prizes that Jeremy – uh, we'll send. Um, okay, and, then, and on that and on that note, this the the reason why we're we're doing three piece is just because it's like a cost efficiency thing. I think a little bit, right? Yeah, because with eighteen winners, so I think it just worked out better. We'll just pick three winners per person, and that person will send them yep. some prizes. Yep. So, so. Uh, we'll pick three out now, which will be the Jeremy's three that he's sending stuff to. Uh, in the middle of the show, we will pick three more, which will be the people that Moods will send uh, prizes to. And then there is the final three will be towards the end of the show, which I will send prizes to. So 
I do have everybody's name. Uh, this is absolutely 100% not rigged in any sort of way. I can care less who wins because I love all Ian's equally. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's not so, bad, though. I mean, 50% of the people that phoned in are going to be winning prizes here. So it's not bad. Yeah, you got a pretty yeah. good chance of actually winning something here. And, yeah, let's get into it. Okay, so I'm going to just shake it up a little bit more. And I actually um, cut out equal. I did it with a ruler. I cut out equal uh, piece size pieces of paper and you know folded them the exact same way as well just nice. to be super legit and fair okay so here comes the top i have one in my hand now let me ask you this moods should i take this one or should i change this person's fate and pick somebody else <laughs> <laughs> you gotta pull out that first one man okay here it comes uh the first uh winner is actually Derek. Oh, go figure. Derek go figure, first. right? Yeah. <laughs> wow, this thing, I think this is rigged a little bit, man. Right? I mean, pick again, pick probably again. Probably one of our biggest friends here. And then <laughs> gets pulled first. Okay, yeah. I'm going to grab another one. This will be the second of the three. Uh, we have Andrew. I believe that is Andrew French. Oh, I thought for a second you were going to say Balan. I was like, wow, that'd be weird. No, no, that's Andrew French. Um, I actually uh, didn't write last names because every all 18 people have different first names. So I was like, that's easy enough. Nice. Um, if, also, if you have not sent your address and stuff to us, make sure that you do after you listen to yourself if you won, uh, if, if you hear your name being pulled out because um, those addresses are all over the place. I've had everybody send them to yeah, different just places the appropriate- and stuff. Just send them to the appropriate host. Yeah, exactly. And the third and final person that Jeremy will be sending a prize to is the homie Tyler, whose voicemails I absolutely love. Um, So those three are the first three winners. There will be six more winners later in the show. Um, Make sure you guys send your addresses to Jeremy. Well, congratulations, Derek, Andrew, and Tyler. They are... Well, that, that's cool, man. That's cool because they're all white regular callers. So yeah, yeah, v- very cool, very cool. So once again, congratulations, and hopefully Jeremy doesn't send you a bunch of shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like eight ghostlings. The funny thing is, is that I actually don't even know what he has to send, or I don't even know what you have. I don't think we know what any of us have. I think I I have bought two things to send, and the rest I'm just gonna buy when I talk to the person. Because okay. I really didn't know. I, I kind of was like, I don't know what people have and stuff like that. So I don't know. It, I, I'll probably have a couple like used things that I might just throw in as well. Just you know, extra stuff that I have. I'm not really yeah. sure what I'm doing. But cool. you're guaranteed to win free shit. So I mean, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. So should we move along into the news? Yeah, dude. Um, honestly, I only grabbed the news from this the last seven days and maybe one or two items that was uh from previous days um because there was really just too much to grab the last you know three weeks four weeks worth of news so i just decided to go with a small sample size of news cool so first up we have uh the i don't know if this is the announcement um but i guess it kind of makes it official maybe it was talked about before but that is underworld 5 i can't believe they've made they're on their fifth one of these already um i guess they are pretty old you know now that i think about it but i I just never really been a huge fan i've only seen like one of them i think i actually can't even really comment and oddly enough i actually picked up the the four blu-ray box set a little while ago because 
you know, to be honest, I never really had any interest in watching the underworld underworld films at all. But it was like twenty bucks for the box set, you know, and it was nice. And I was like, whatever, man, it's twenty bucks. I might as well grab them. So maybe I'll get around to them one day. But yeah, you know, I've heard very very mixed things about them. I don't really think they're kind of my thing. I think they're from what I heard. I think they're a little over stylized and just I've said kind that of whatever. Before. Yeah, and, so. um, they're very like I I liking them to Resident Evil like that new era stylized fast paced action high octane type horror film which I'm mm-hmm. just never have been like the biggest fan of that style but I do know that there are a lot of people who love that style oh and I can see the appeal too you know it, like you said it's the high octane you know fast paced right so yeah uh, but. The news comes that uh, actress uh, Kate Beckinsale, I believe, who played like the mm-hmm. lead character, has signed on to, uh, you know, reprise her role. Um, so She's that's kind of beautiful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this one is actually uh, kind of it's titled Underworld: The Next Generation, which you know anything that's usually titled something along those lines is probably bad you know texas chainsaw massacre 4 <laughs> the next generation yeah. yeah uh but it's supposed to shoot in october in prague in prague nice yeah so cool. there is underworld 5 on the way after that we have some pretty cool news uh we've been following this since it's you know early stages onto its incubation development all that stuff uh twin peaks um, so as, you know, brief history, it was announced that they was going to continue the series with David Lynch involved. Uh, you know, everybody was getting excited for it. It was not going to be a reboot. It was going to be like a remake. It was going to be like a continuation of some sort. All these different actors were signing on to reprise their roles. Everybody's all happy. And it was like a warm feeling of like, oh, shit, everything's coming back. Nostalgia set in and all that stuff. And then David Lynch uh you know, removes himself from the the show because Showtime wasn't putting up the appropriate amount of money that he felt mm-hmm. he needed to make the show. Uh, then there was a bunch of fan backlash. There was uh, the actors involved all made videos saying like David Lynch can't be, you know, D- Twin Peaks without David Lynch is like the, you know, log lady without logs or whatever. You, you know, they had all these <laughs> cute, funny things. And I guess it worked because David Lynch recently went to his Twitter and said, dear Twitter friends, the rumors are not what they seem. It is happening again. Hashtag Twin Peaks returns on Showtime. Cool. So I guess David Lynch is back involved. That is good news. Yeah, so I think that that goes to show that if you have enough of a strong arm from the fans and the people involved, you can really change a lot of things. And I always say that, like, if you guys, if you want, you know somebody to go you you want them to make this film this way not have it a remake everybody just say that like all at Mm -hmm. once and you know they'll hear this is a really interesting case because you know like 20 years ago or something like that this would have never happened exactly you know without 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 social media and how and this is proof that it can be very very effective Mm-hmm. and really help out. I mean, obviously social media is a good outlet for a lot of things, but this is a prime example of it really, really working <laughs> to the yeah. benefit of the fans. Because 20 years ago, you know, if, if this exact situation had happened, David Lynch backs out because there's not a lot, enough money, it's done. It's done. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. where are these people going to make videos and tweet and blah, blah, blah and stuff? Mm-hmm. It's not going to get out, you know? Yeah. 
So you're not going to hold a press conference on CBC or something like that. But yeah, um, and you know that's interesting. Like back when I said like, listen, if everybody wants Scream Factory to do another TV TV tears, everybody go tell them right now. Like the entire you know horror world. If I bet guarantee you, if like a hundred people just went to Scream Factory's page and posted like, hey, can we get another TV tears? I bet they'd probably listen. Yeah, I. Man, it's such a bummer. I know. I, I, we, I we, should, we should start I the position. You love it. You love. Yeah, we should, we should start gathering up people right now, and then just head over to the website and just or tweet them or whatever. Tweet them, and, email, and just just bombard them with uh, TV tears too. TV, you have to do it. Volume two. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, man. I, I you know, I th- it's such a good idea, and I'm such a big fan of seventies TV shows. And I was so bummed out when they said they're not going to do anymore. I'm like, come on, fans. I mean, that release was like ten bucks. Come on. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. After that, we have an announcement for Guillermo del Toro's The Strain season two. I guess that's that show he produces on FX. It will be returning July twelfth at the uh, 10 p.m. time slot. Uh, that's of course Eastern Standard Time. Uh, the second season continues the story of a Dr. Goodweather and his quest against, quotations, the master. I don't know anything about the show, so none of that makes sense to me. But I'm mm. sh- I know that there are people that really like that show, so second I've, season is upon us. Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. And actually, um, last week I was waiting for my prescription. I have mad heartburn, so <laughs> I take prescription <laughs> pills for that. But anyways, I had some time to kill, and uh, so I went over to the comic book store that was just across the way. And I, I was actually flipping through the graphic novel of The Strain, and it looks fucking fantastic, man. I was like, this is really awesome. I was actually considering buying it, but it was pretty expensive. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, eh, whatever, I can do without it. But yeah, I've heard really good things about the show, and yeah, the graphic novel pretty neat too. So that's cool that they're continuing the series. So I heard good things. Yeah. Uh, something that I'll probably pick up on Blu-ray season one eventually and then not watch it for like five years. <laughs> <laughs> kind of in the same boat right now. <laughs> I have so many TV shows that I've not. I've been trying to get through the X Files season one, and I'm like, I think on the third disc, and I've just been at a standstill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those episodes are like an hour long each, man. So it's it's you know I used to be able to just binge watch shit for days, but I don't know. I, it feels like I have less and less time to do things like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of TV shows, we have. A announcement for Empire of the Dead. You familiar with this? It sounds familiar. Well, it should sound familiar because it's George A. Romero, uh, Empire of the Dead. You know, it's typical Mm -hmm. of the dead. You know, uh, it's a zombie world created by George Romero. uh, It's coming to the small screen. Uh, The people behind the film Tusk have announced that they will be adapting a 15-issue graphic novel Empire of the Dead, which was written by George Romero and published by Marvel. They're going to be making that into a TV series. Series. Uh, this announcement came uh, at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, the series will be written by George Romero and longtime partner Peter uh, Grunwald and executive produced by Romero and Grunwald. And basically, it uh, the comic series, I guess, focuses on a zombie plague set in New York, but it also adds vampires to the mix. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I've read little bits and pieces on this and stuff, and that's really cool, though, that it's going to be involving vampires and stuff, too, because it's, like, strictly zombies. I mean, you know, the TV market with zombie-based television shows is, there's a lot, Well, you know, that's going on right now with that, so, but that's kind of well, cool. 
what I'm feeling about this is that, okay, Romero is obviously past his prime. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he created fucking zombies, dude. Like, I feel like he still had, no matter how dried up that well is, I feel like it'll never be dry enough to where he still couldn't come up with interesting ideas. And if he's writing it and letting the, you know, uh, technical aspect go in the hands of, you know, new young people, then Mm -hmm. maybe we have something here. I think this could work, though, man. Maybe he's going to put a unique twist on vampirism in there, too. Yeah. Who knows? I think is a good idea. I mean, vampires who need to suck blood probably have a hard time sucking blood when the world's infested with dead people without blood or well, yeah because you know, i can't see the vampires blood. yeah you know feasting on the walking dead yeah so yeah it's an interesting premise pretty cool so yeah uh so after that uh this is some funny news man this is something i i swear we've been talking about this since we've created the podcast amityville awakening this is the new you know <laughs> big level amityville film that you know, dimension is behind. Yeah. We've heard so much about it. People have come out who are involved says like, it's really good and stuff. Well, it was supposed to come out. I, I think it's been delayed a couple times now. Right. Uh, so yeah. I think that it was su- the second, you know, the last time it was supposed to, uh, it was supposed to hit in January. Uh, and then it got pushed to, you know, sometime like way later. And now it's being pushed to april 15th of 2016 which is almost a year from now (laughs) what yeah i i believe it was supposed to be released last january and they uh pulled it to do some extra uh footage to film some extra stuff wow what do they what do they just refilm the whole thing (laughs) or something i have no idea dude that's a long that's a big difference in time right there yeah and you know it was known as amityville the reawakening and they short they shorten the title to amityville awakening it's like they keep like just they to me it feels like they don't know what to do with this film like they don't they're looking for the perfect time to release it uh i feel like it's already almost done or it it has to be done there's already like nine amityville films and this one's actually connected to the original series right so So, yeah, maybe they're just really struggling for that original idea because they've kind of covered a lot of different But, I mean, it's filmed already, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think it's more of a marketing thing. Like, like how do we market this film? Uh, you know, it, what's, you know do what, we release it when The Conjuring 2 comes out? Do we, you know, what do we do with it? It probably is completely something like that because, I mean, there's been a few Amityville films or not Amity, like, related to the original series, but there's been a few films that have come out in the last year that have had Amityville or, you know, in the title that aren't even related. Yeah. So maybe it is that they're kind of waiting out that because people are always capitalizing, you know, just put Amityville in there and like, oh, fuck, you know, go and grab that and shit. And it's like, no, it's not even related to the original series. But um, I think it's kind of interesting how many Amityville films have came out. I think there's been a couple since the remake came mm-hmm. out. Uh, when when what year was the remake again? I always ask that. It was like oh six, dude, because I went and seen it at the movies with like yeah. a girl, like a girlfriend. So <laughs> in like they've done <laughs> yeah. So they've done a couple Amityville films since that were related to the original franchise, and but they never they never did a sequel to the remake or anything. I just find that interesting, you know, that they're still pumping out these ones to the original franchise. <laughs> 
It's kind yeah, of strange, man. It's nuts, dude. It's so uh, strange. But that is actually be that was directed by the director of P two and uh, Maniac, the remake. Oh wow! Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I actually really enjoy both those films. So. Yep. Hmm. Uh, after that, we have. Uh, a announcement from the people who directed Paranormal Activity 3 and 4. They also was the people behind Catfish. Uh, they have a new production under Blumhouse, who, of course, Blumhouse did stuff like Sinister and Paranormal Activity. And they're still doing they're still doing big things. I mean, Blumhouse is a decent, you know, company for especially like Ghostlies that aren't bad. <laughs> <laughs> Ghostlies that aren't bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, film, well, uh, the film is called Viral... And it's slated to be released in February of 2016. Really? Uh, Viral? Yeah. Are you kidding me? That's so unoriginal. Come on, man. They just had, you know, a third installment in a, you know, a found footage series called VHS Viral. Yeah. I don't know, man. Viral. There's other films called Viral. This is the plot. This is what we're going to start this conversation again. You're going to type in viral, and then you're going to get 14 films come up with that title. You're like, which one is it? Yeah. yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Struggling after a recent family tragedy, teenager Emma Drakeford begins a video documentary about her life for a school project. Her life is turned upside down as a terrifying virus sweeps through her small town, turning her friends and neighbors into vicious monsters. Quarantined with her family, Emma believes they are out of harm's way, but when the contagion finally infiltrates their home, Emma and her family are faced with an impossible decision. If someone you love becomes a threat, do you kill them in cold blood or save them at the risk of your own life? This is, uh... This is obviously very zombie sounding like, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. You know, I mean, it also it, it, sounds it, very like wreck and quarantine, right? Exactly. Exactly. So is this actually like a found footage film? Because it said it was she was. It does video. sound. It like sounds video, it sounds like it's found footage, you know, which isn't necessarily a problem. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I've, just I've by the, the description on it. She's found footage already because video diaries. Yeah, I've so. seen a lot of good ones, but uh, but, then, but if it is found footage or kind of that style, you know, then it it is going to kind of pertain and relate to a lot of films like that. Yeah, you like know? Rack and exactly. So it kind of has that feel, or just by the sound, it just yeah. makes it have that feel to it. But I don't know, man. I don't it's, know. I, you know, either you know, do you kill them in cold blood, or I don't know. I guess it depends on what they got you for Christmas. You know, if their <laughs> gift was shitty, then you fucking take them out, man. Well, I don't know. You got to make really weird decisions like that. You're like, well, you fucking forgot my birthday last year. So, you know what? Here's a hammer to the head. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, obviously, it's produced by Blumhouse. And it is actually, um, they're kind of saying that it is a terrifying new twist on a monster, on the monster movie. So, it sounds less like zombies and maybe more like uh the, like uh splinter like like maybe like a monster type you know what i mean like just some kind of so, so like so these are actually like monsters yeah i mean that makes it sound a little more interesting to me than it, see, it doesn't sound like straight zombies. up like like zombies if they're actually monster monsters like you know some kind of created monster maybe the twist is they turn into humans wouldn't that be weird 
Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> they're so also saying that this is the first in a trilogy. So they're going with that. Oh, man. I don't know, man. You know, don't you get a little sketched out when you hear that? Yeah, because that's like, very the first ballsy. Because there's two ways you can look at it. One, these people really believe in what they're doing and they know that it's going to do well. Which isn't or a bad thing. At least two, you know, they, have confidence. they just are trying to trick you into mm. thinking that. <laughs> well, that's that's definitely a possibility, too. Um, I don't know, man. This whole trilogy thing, like, you know... I, I just keep thinking about the movie Muck. I haven't even seen it yet, but I've heard mostly bad things about it. But I don't understand why they released that film. And apparently it's like the middle part of the story. You know, why would you do that? Really? Yeah. Who, like Muck, apparently, this? Muck is apparently like a trilogy. It's a, it's a, it's a story and Muck is like the middle film. That's right? interesting. That's a so, good idea if you do it right. But apparently it's very confusing because from what I've heard and, you know, read, what I've watched and read and stuff, the movie literally starts like in the middle of the story. And then there's people that are missing and th- there's things that are unexplained, obviously, because there's a first part of the film. I love right? that. And then, idea, and then muck and then muck ends abruptly. And people are like, well, it just ends abruptly. And I'm like, well, if it's supposed to be the middle part of the story, of course it is. It's not the fucking end. So I think if you take it for what it is, but I think a lot of people are just confused as hell. Like, especially if you didn't know what was going on with, you know, story behind it at this being the middle part of the story it can be very confusing but i don't know man but again my point that i'm trying to make here is that it's another trilogy you know of films so jesus a lot of fucking trilogies man yeah very interesting yeah next up we have an acquisition from magnet uh it had it came with a little slogan 12 hours four killers no way out it's called tiger house it's supposed to be some sort of new slasher uh, it follows a teenager who sneaks into her boyfriend Mark's house to deliver some sobering news that she's pregnant. But tonight, she is the only unwelcome visitor as an armed gang breaks in. Mark's father manages a bank and the gang plan on using Doug's help to carry out a daring heist using his captive's family as leverage. Their plan quickly unravels when during the ensuing struggle the gang's leader Shane gets injured and is left on Mark's bed fading in and out of consciousness unbeknownst to the intruders a terrified vulnerable Kelly is only inches away under the the under the very same bed from her cramped and hiding position Kelly overhears everything and now knows too much putting her life in terrible danger now Kelly must draw on all her reserves and strength Skills and dexterity to escape as the situation spirals out of control. The suburban house becomes a terrifying arena for violence. Faced with no alternative, she must turn and fight back. Sounds very plot heavy. I mean, it does sound like one of yeah. those like, uh, you know, tense type movies, uh, very suspenseful things like that. Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound too bad. What do you think? I don't know. It sounds okay. I guess it's I mean, typical home it's, invasion, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, it seems like a lot of these type of films these days have been trying to work out, not having that straightforward type, you know, film putting some pretty decent twists into them. So we'll see. This one to me sounds like a mix between like the collector and like your next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little bit. It does actually. So, so I think what really separates these films is that you have to have like, you know, a good enough, twist or something in there you know 
you got to have something come out of left field, man, because there's there is yeah. so many straightforward ones, and you have know, to have man. a lot of tension and suspense because see, home invasion supporters, it is home invasion is a tricky one because the premise is basically very similar in every film, right? Mm-hmm. You're being home invaded, yeah. right? So you need like these films are tricky, man. There's a, there's a lot in my opinion that are misses but there is some really good ones but who knows it's one of these films that i that i would check out i like home invasion films i find they're just fucking terrifying to me man yeah well like i've stated so many times i find them just like that's the craziest shit absolutely maybe not the craziest shit but it, it for me it's like it terrifies me yeah for me home invasion kind of hinges on the amount of plot holes because there's always some normally and as long as they keep keep them to a minimum and they deliver on like the terror and the suspense they work for me but the ones that are just riddled with plot holes just drive me crazy like yeah. uh the purge exactly so that film is actually going to be released on vod in october through magnet uh good time for those type of films october is definitely uh, a high watch for people who are into horror films or even people who are not because it seems like everybody's into horror films in October. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After that, we have a announcement for World War Z 2. Uh, apparently, they have now finally, Paramount that is, is announcing a release date, which is June 9th of 2017. June 9th. So... Is uh, Brad Pitt signed on for this thing too? I have no idea. It's pretty oh, it limited right now. They just kind of announced the release date. Uh, I'm actually quite surprised how much after the fact that they announced the sequel to that because that movie did pretty good, didn't it? It did really well worldwide, like yeah. all together. By by the time it was all said and done, it definitely made money. Uh, but you know, to I me, really thought there. Was, I really thought that there was going to be a sequel quicker than that. Yeah. I mean, well, they did me, announce it right away, but it's it's like most of these like big. It's kind of like no, no, no. I know, I know they did. I just thought maybe you'd be it'd be coming out a lot quicker. Yeah, you know, yeah. with a, with a you know a Hollywood film like that, they really try to pounce on it. I mean, before you you know like with any type of Hollywood films like uh, one of those Liam Neeson films called Taken. There's already three of them. Yeah, <laughs> like they're pumping those things out like crazy, man. Like. Yeah. You know, I'm just really surprised they didn't just like bang was like out this summer yeah. kind of thing, you know. So I think I think what it has to do is there's so many cogs and moving parts that it's like there's probably like every t- decision you make probably has to go through like eight people signing off on it, which you know probably just takes forever. So uh, it's very slow moving when you're talking about like you know 300 million dollar budget movies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. One thing that I will note is when you type out World War Z and then put a two next to it, it looks really retarded. Just saying. <laughs> interesting. It's good that you noted that, though. Yeah. You know, so, so next time when I type in, you know, World War Z two, I'll, I'll be thinking of that. Yeah, I'll just look at it. You. I'm telling you, you're there. I wouldn't be surprised if they like drop the two and add something else because it really does look stupid next to each other because the z looks really similar to the two i think what would be cooler if they if they did it in roman numerals so you got z and then and then yeah that you know. might look a little better yeah so <laughs> might, it might also be very confusing too yeah so. uh so after that um friday the 13th we get a double update uh i believe shock to drop first reported an update and then bloody disgusting reported one a few days later so apparently uh, Brad Fuller, who is one of the producers at Platinum Dunes, says that they kind of just got stalled out 
uh, and he thinks that the movie uh, they were obviously thinking about found footage and they decided to move away from that uh, because of fan outcry. So once again, once again, you know, we mentioned it earlier, fans do have a voice and it will be heard if you scream loud enough. Uh, they were just kind of overwhelmed with the negative feedback for the idea of doing Friday 13th found footage. So I think that's why it was ultimately delayed because maybe they were going that route and they realized like maybe we shouldn't do this. Um, they even hired David Bruckner who uh, of course was most known for his found footage segment in VHS, uh, mm-hmm. the one with the succubus. And it, you know, all signs pointed to found footage when that happened. So I think they reassessed everything. They was like, okay, let's drop the found footage thing. Let's rewrite the script, uh, which is currently what they're doing now, I believe. They said, uh, hopefully we're getting the script within the next month or two, and then we'll be ready to go back to Crystal Lake. Nice. Nice. Well, that's good. Yeah, so uh, they listened. A little bit more of the of the news came from Bloody Disgusting when the screenwriter uh, – actually got on Twitter a few months ago. He posted uh, some images of machetes, like different style machetes, you know, obviously hinting at Friday the 13th. Um, Now uh, he got on there and he said that uh, this will not be a sequel to the 2009 remake. Uh, This is actually supposed to be a, it's going to have different characters, different time period. So I'm guessing that they're going back to the eighties. So maybe this is going to be more of a, unofficial sequel to the original films it's going to be set in that world cool does that sound exactly like everybody's been wanting what everybody's been wanting well i guess these fans have been screaming right they haven't been talking they haven't been whispering they've been screaming yeah yeah and what they want and you know it's it's a good point man you know you have to voice or scream your what you want to and you know it, it works I think I think we're starting to realize that it actually does work. So people, don't be afraid to say something. Yeah, I know they're actually. I think they're listening, man, because you know that this whole found footage it got everyone terrified, you know, and throw some ideas and look what's happening. I mean, dude, you know that I love the Friday the Thirteenth films. The listeners know by now. It's my favorite franchise. I love the Jason character. It's my favorite horror character of all time. I've seen those movies more than I've seen any other horror films. Probably one of the, literally the first horror film I remember watching was Friday the 13th part seven. Like it's so ingrained in my life and my childhood that I honestly just want another Friday the 13th. And you know, I'm actually getting more than what I was asking for because now it (laughs) seems like they're actually doing something that I would have wanted to see, but I thought they wouldn't do. Um, so I think if anything, we're seeing this a lot now where there had been a remake that comes out because they say we want to reboot the franchise, right? We want to re- reboot the franchise. Then we'll have our own sequels that follow our storyline that we set up. And then that remake comes out. And every once in a while you'll get a sequel like what Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's like one and done. They do a remake and then they're like, huh. Well, maybe we should go back to what it originally was. And then they kind of ignore the remake. We've seen it with the Chainsaw films. There was another one that was recently announced. I forget what it was. But it it does seem like it's more going towards that. Like they're, mm-hmm. all these studios are now ignoring the remakes that they set up. The whole idea, set it up. Let's let's make the remake. We'll, then we'll go from that storyline. But now it seems like, ah, eh, let's go back to what we was doing. And I like it. But at the same time, it's kind of like. Well, what the hell was the point in the first place? You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Exactly. 
Yeah, it gets a little confusing too. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna have like eight different storylines. Like this is fucking Halloween. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. What is this the <laughs> Halloween franchise? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after that, that was kind of the last little bit of news for like the main news. Then we have like some DVD announcements and shit like that. Um, it follows has been announced from Anchor Bay Home Entertainment. This will hit digital HD July 3rd and Blu-ray DVD on demand July 14th course that's from anchor bay it follows got a lot of great reviews it hit the indie circuit did really well got into theaters we followed it through its life cycle and now we're finally going to be able to see it in july nice yeah i'm I'm excited for this i've heard pretty good things so yeah uh after that uh scream factory announces the editor this is uh a film put out by Who's the people that made this film? Astron 6. Astron 6. Okay, so apparently it's supposed to be sort of like a throwback, seedy, 1970s, giallo, Italian-type mm. film. Sounds really cool, to be honest. I, it did – I was reading the, the synopsis and I was like, this this kind of sounds decent like to me. Like I, uh, I'm, I love I'm so, that style. I'm so stoked for this, man, because like Astron 6 has got – They've done so much different stuff. If you watch all their shorts and then, of course, Father's Day and Manborg and like, they're completely different films. And so this, this is a really interesting idea. I want to see how they tackle this because they, they're really creative. They're funny. They're, you know, they're actually really good filmmakers, to be honest, you know, especially when you, like I said, if you really explore their, uh, their short films, like their short things that they did. There was a, tro- a release, uh, a set released by Troma a few years ago. It was two discs and it's like five or six hours of shorts and stuff. It's really interesting, but it kind of gives you an idea of, of their, uh, you know, their versatility, you know, in their filmmaking. They're all over the place. So this one's really interesting. But the thing that's really caught my eye about the editor is the different cover arts that they've had for it. There's so many cool poster arts for the editor. You know, it's just so intriguing. Have you, have you seen a bunch of them? I, I, I think I've seen a handful of them. Yeah, they're like really cool, man. Like, mm. I actually want one of those posters. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm real. This is one release that I'm super stoked for. I'm so happy that Screen Factory picked up this. Is I think this is gonna be awesome. Yeah, Screen Factory is doing some decent stuff. I mean, their partnership with IFC Midnight and now grabbing this film. It seems like they're slowly starting to move away from the chiller sci-fi type films. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is probably a good thing. I mean, they haven't really been. The best, <laughs> I used to you know? get really excited for them. Like, I loved Beneath. Like, even though it had major problems, like I had a lot of fun watching that one. And then you move on to shit like Dark Hall, and what was the other one we covered? Animal. Like they were. Ugh, yeah. You know, yeah. They're, like, they're not the greatest. Bad. They're definitely, definitely forgettable. But uh, you know, recently they released Extraterrestrial, and uh, uh, which was an IFC pickup from them, and that you know it just proves again that. Their IFC releases are really good. Yeah, uh, the you know Bob they're releasing Duke, some good stuff. The Bob Duke, um, one of their big films that was not a chiller film or a sci-fi film. This was actually just a uh, acquisition that they captured was the battery, and that that was literally one of the best things they've put out. So, yeah. I mean, if the editor is anything similar to that in terms of like just this you know film that was created not didn't grab it through any type of channels or anything like that that they just saw potential in and picked it up like i i like the idea of them doing that more oh me too man yeah i'm always down like you know me i like my older films and i i really like to see companies release those obscure 80s type films and stuff but you know if you're going to be releasing stuff like the editor and shit like that i mean i'm all for it too man Big yeah. props. 
after that, Scream Factory announced Wormwood, which is subtitled Road of the Dead. This is a Australian-produced take on the zombie genre. It's gotten a lot of buzz from uh, press outlets such as RogerEbert.com, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, IGN Movies, and Entertainment Weekly. And once again, you know, this one is... <laughs> Did IFC pick up this? Yeah, this is an IFC uh, Scream Factory uh, co production okay. i guess i've heard really, i'm really stoked for this one too actually i've heard lots of good things so yeah and you know i love me my i love me some aussie flicks man. you know so. i i will say that like you mentioned extraterrestrial i've heard some people say that it's a complete dud and others say that it, I, they loved it and i heard the exact same things with wormwood it seems mm-hmm. like some people like it and some people think that it's a dud well it was odd man you know like matt you know he he posted a um you know it on the Facebook page there, and he said, "Oh, I watched Extraterrestrial. I didn't like it. I thought it was terrible." Blah blah blah. Um, <clears throat> but oddly enough, you know, Tom Horsbald watched it the same night, and me and my buddy Dylan had watched it on the same night too. Like I think everybody must have got it in the mail that morning or something. <laughs> and uh, and it was funny because it seemed like all the comments after that we all liked it except for Matt. <laughs> yeah, so, which is odd was- because Matt seems like he likes films like that. Yeah, I don't know, man. By the sounds of it, he, I think he was a little preoccupied with something. He might just need to revisit it. But I thought it was a lot of fun. You know, I had no problem with the, the aliens being CG. They actually looked pretty good. You know, it wasn't like that really shitty type look or whatever. But, you know, there was there was a lot of cliches in the film uh, with visual things, like just the way the, uh, you know, the aliens looked and also what they were, you know, the, their alien craft and stuff. We act, me and Dylan had a pretty good laugh about that. But it didn't, you know, it, it was it just felt right when you watched it, though. That yeah. was the good thing. It actually felt proper. So I don't yeah. know. And the ending and the ending was awesome. So it didn't the ending didn't suck. Which helped. Yeah. So uh Wormwood will be available August fourth of two thousand fifteen. And then they announced Ejecta, a horrific alien invasion forces two men to fight for their lives during the universe altering night of terror. Uh this one will be August eighteenth of two thousand fifteen, so a week apart on those ones, or week at two. Uh, yeah, um, directed by Chad Archibald. Uh, I most recently did a review for Anchor Bay of his new film, uh, The Drownsman. Uh, Chad Archibald is actually the head of Black Fawn Distribution in Canada. Uh, people didn't know that. And oddly enough, you know, he's, <clears throat> he's, he's been involved with quite a few films that have come out recently. Um, he did, uh, he actually it's so weird man all of his films that he's been involved with haven't been released by black fawn <laughs> don't you find that a little strange like it is interesting yeah. a few years ago he directed a film called kill that was uh, released by trauma the drownsman was released by anchor bay eject is being released by uh ivc and um screen factory and he was producers on films like hellmouth which i just recently reviewed also uh, these are shameless plugs by the way um <laughs> Oh, actually, no, I did lie. He was a producer on In the House of Flies, which was released by Black Fawn. Um, but uh, he was a producer on Antisocial. With, did you see Antisocial from a couple years back? No, I didn't. Okay, that was released, I believe, by Anchor Bay or something. I can't remember. I've seen and it in the box, but I never picked it up. Okay. And he also was a producer on Septic Man, which was a film that I was uh, uh, I loved from last year. You I think know, that so. was pick of the week, actually. Yeah. And, you know, so he's been involved in quite a few films. And, uh, yeah, so... I don't know. I wasn't like the biggest fan of the drowns, but some people liked it. Some people, that was another one that was really mixed recently. I yeah. found 
You know, like people are like, oh, really? You didn't like it? And I'm like, well, it's, it wasn't really for me. But this objective film actually looks pretty interesting. I'm pretty stoked for it because, you know, I'm liking these, you know, these more contemporary releases. And yeah, who says horror's dead, right? Right. Yeah. So uh, after that, I figured I'd just go through this real quick because Scream Factory did announce all the release dates for their Summer of Fear Part 2. Uh, it started with Mad Max, uh, Extraterrestrial, Stigmata. Uh, those ones are out now, I believe, or Stigmata is right about to come out. Uh, Stigmata uh, is out. I actually got the Blu-ray in the mail the other day and laughed. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I have a Blu-ray of Stigmata. Why? Yeah. But you know, it wasn't definitely definitely not my favorite release, but yeah. know, it's just an upgrade I never need to make. But unfortunately, I have serious problems when it comes to Screen Factory, and that's why I have Stigmata on Blu-ray. Continue. It- they also mentioned uh, the announced the Gunwoman, uh, the double feature of Food of the Gods and Frogs, and the double feature of Empire of the Ants and Jaws of Satan, which we'll talk about later. Then in and June, those, those that, three releases are so fantastic, man. That's yeah. a good second half of May. Yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then in June, man, June got some heavy hitters as well. You got Scarecrows making its Blu-ray debut, uh, yeah. Sleepaway Camp two and three. Uh, which are not here yet, but everybody else seems to be getting them already. That pisses me off, actually. I I pre-ordered them right when they the same day they announced the link, and last time I checked, mine are still in freaking Indiana. Oh, fucking Indiana! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then they have uh, ten tentacles and repticulus. <laughs> repticulus, yeah, yeah. So uh, tentacles, tentacles is a fun. Film. I've never actually seen reptic uh, repticulus, Blech, whatever. But uh, tentacles is awesome. It's like a it's an Italian flick. It's fun. And then yeah. after those four, uh, still in June, you have the long – it's almost a myth at this point, the the mythological dog soldiers. Uh, I heard it existed and apparently it's coming out. <laughs> yeah. Long so delayed. I'm... Long delayed. They announced that one early, dude. They announced that back in like the beginning. Like I, the... Think, I think dog soldiers might even have the most delays out of any film that they've released so far. Oh, yeah, for sure. It had a handful of delays and, you know, the one delay was like a year later or something, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Then, of course, last for June, you have Ghost House and Witchery in a double feature. That's fantastic, man. Ghost House making its uh, Region 1 premiere right there. Witchery is a pretty funny Italian film with Linda Blair and David Hasselhoff. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, it's actually pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, that's another good release, though. Yeah. So uh, it looks like June has has a really solid lineup. Uh, and then in July, you have eight. You have freaking eight movies in July. I know. That is just ridiculous. Uh, first first up, you have uh, Robot Jocks from Stuart Gordon, which I'm oddly interested in. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. I just I just knew that Stuart Gordon directed it, yeah. so it's intriguing. Uh, then you have another IFC Midnight uh, in Alien Outpost. Uh, don't know much about it, but you know it, it looks like right along the lines is they do a lot of alien films. I noticed. Yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, and then after that, you have another IFC, and it's actually one that I'm really looking forward to. This is from director Paul Solit, who you might remember from Grace. Uh, it's his film Dark Summer. Oh yeah, yeah, that actually looked pretty intriguing. Yeah. Uh, then you have The Howling Two, uh, which yeah. You know, uh, then you have a, a lot of negativity on these two, and that is a double feature of the outing and godsend and cellar dweller and catacombs. I think it was more to the fact that they originally said that these weren't going to come to Blu-ray. Yeah, and now they're being released on Blu-ray, and people are like, "What the fuck? 
yeah. <laughs> what happened there. So, I mean, I can see it, but yeah. After that, you have I Madman, which I know I think you called that from a mile away. I that was one I I had on a list um, for Screen Fact. I think they were going to release, and they actually did. I think that's cool because you know the the DVD is out of print, so this will give a chance, uh, you know, to people who have never seen it. So yeah. And uh, finally, one that I think everybody is pumped for, and that is Ghost Town. That's for the final one in July. Yes. I've actually never seen Ghost Town. I've always loved the, the poster art for yeah. it. And it just looks awesome. I seen it when I was a kid. I remember certain images from it because it was on a VHS, uh, like a you know recorded VHS that had Elm Street 4 and Ghost Town on it. And I used to watch those two back to back, but I really don't remember Ghost Town that much. I'm sure once I see it, it'll all come back to me. Uh, but mm-hmm. I'm really excited to revisit that one. And then in August, this is the end of the summer affair with uh, eight more releases. You have the Toolbox Murders two, which is such a weird release for them. Well, I was reading a little thing on that the other day, and apparently the release that was called um, oh, there's another name for Coffin, it. it maybe. Coffin Baby was actually a bootleg release. It was actually unofficially released um, oh, by really? whoever whoever did it. Yeah, uh, so this is the official, actual full cut of the film. Yeah, this is. A, I hear this is also a different cut as well. Like I, I yeah. guess this had a ton of uh, production issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that actually interests me because anytime, even if it's like a terrible film, anytime you're able to get something that was unavailable and put it out there, I think that's a win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. So the people have seen Coffin Baby. I've heard mostly negative things, but yeah, that's not even the official cut of the film. The director did not approve that. So if you do have a copy of that, toss it out. Wait for the Toolbox Murders too. Maybe it'll be better. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I didn't really like the first one. No. I mean, the the remake of the Toolbox Murders. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it is what it is. That. Uh, then you have Wormwood. Of course, that was uh, one of the films we mentioned earlier. Then a huge release for me. That's The People Under the Stairs. This is coming out August 11th. Oh, my God. That cover art, dude. Love it. Yeah, it's one of the better ones. Really yeah. cool. Yeah. This is definitely a tentpole for me. Uh, just a, a, a cool release. I've been waiting for it for a long time. I'm happy it's getting one from Scream Factory. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be awesome features. Wes Craven. Uh, I mean, this is really one of the films that he's not had a chance and an opportunity to have a stage to talk about enough. And I feel like, you know, with Wes Craven as well as John Carpenter and Stuart Gordon and, and all these guys, like, they're not going to be around forever. So that's one of the things I love about Scream Factory, even though they're releasing a lot of these tentpole titles sometimes they're not the you know underground like unreleased films that we want every one of them to be mm-hmm. you still have these ones where you get to hear these masters talk about uh some of their films and it's it's kind of like the definitive version of the film once it is released you know yep yep uh then you have nomads don't know anything <laughs> about that one <laughs> yeah, i don't know it, it doesn't even it doesn't it's not that appealing to me so yeah. I don't know. Who knows though? Who knows? Neither was what like uh, the fucking Jack. Jack. What was it? The Jack. Fucking the one movie you seen. The Love at First Bite or fucking Love Kiss. The whatever the hell it was. <laughs> oh, Vampire's Kiss. Yeah, Vampire's Kiss. Yeah. Jack, oh my god. Nick, Nicholas Ugh. Cage. Was that who it was? <laughs> yeah. I couldn't fucking remember his name. Dude, that movie is beyond over the top. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Uh. So after that, you have Ejecta, which um is like another alien one. Uh, then you have the Sentinel um, and mm-hmm. the Legacy. Those are both Universal titles. Yeah, the Legacy. That's cool, man. 
Yeah. And cool. finally, for August, which will wrap up the summer affair completely, you have Metamorphosis and Beyond the Darkness in a or Beyond Darkness in a double feature. Yeah, that's awesome, man. A couple of Italian films there that uh, don't have releases over here. So, yeah, we just have a few more pieces of news here. Uh, Full Moon. I, I mentioned this a while back, but I figured I would just get your thoughts on it really quickly. They announced these variant cover art releases. They mm-hmm. are a DVD. Uh, their first one was Bloodstone Subspecies 2 with new uh, cover art. Just picture what Scream Factory does for their collector's editions. It's like new, newly designed artwork. Uh, and it is signed by the director, Ted Nikolai, and Charles Ben on the back, also numbered out of 250. No new special features. It just has the vid cast on it. Uh, it costs $20 free shipping through Amazon Prime, I believe. And uh, they're trying to target the uh, – I forget exactly what word they mentioned, but it was like the like extreme horror collector or something. The ultimate collector is what they said. Um, each month they'll release a new one. Uh, next month I believe is uh, Puppet Master, I think. And then the 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 intruders after that. So what do you okay. think, man? Well, I think this is definitely. I mean, they're right about that. This is mostly appealing to the hardcore collectors because, I mean, Puppet Master uh, and um, uh, Bloodstone Two. I mean, or um, Subspecies Two have been released on Blu-ray. So I think a lot of collectors they have probably the older DVDs and the Blu-rays already. Are they going to go revert? back and buy a dvd uh for the average collector just for the new um commissioned art probably not this is more exactly for the hardcore collectors that like to you know have alternate editions and different cover arts and stuff um you know i consider myself to be (laughs) i don't know i guess i guess it really depends um for those type of films no i'm not going to go out out of my way to buy the newly commissioned artwork on dvd considering i have them on blu-ray and dvd already um what's the selling point here that's what is it the, maybe the autograph the sign and, and it's signed and it's limited the it, the, so it's like those you know weird like hard boxes that there's like 50 of like yeah i i, I never really is, is the limited i think a lot of people do get a little pissed off when they buy something limited that actually isn't numbered because they feel a little ripped off at times and you're going well is this actually really limited yeah so if you see a, a, a release that's actually numbered of 250 and you got number 34 and it's signed and everything i think that's the appeal you know you know it's a very limited pressing and people go after those things and that's what the appeal is in my opinion let me ask you this what if you took this same exact idea right um bloodstone subspecies 2 would be the first release uh let's say you change the number from 250 to a thousand um you also make it a blu-ray uh and you uh keep the new cool cover art maybe throw it on a slip cover like slim scream factory does have the original cover art on the reverse side uh and then have new special features and maybe say it's 25 bucks instead of 20 is, does that interest you anymore? It's still signed by both director and Charles Ben, but now it's a thousand copies. You know what? It actually does appeal a little more because it is a Blu-ray. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, like the uh, the Puppet Master Blu-ray is not overly the greatest um, in quality, like picture quality. But I mean, they are in widescreen, which is good. So I, I think it would just depend on, you know, if maybe maybe if it's like a new transfer. 
you know, maybe yeah. be a little more appealing. But I mean, that setup right there just screams Scream Factory, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, but I so, think I mean, the appeal's there. The, the difference is, is there. that it's signed. Um, but it is a Blu-ray, though. Yeah. So I can't see myself just going out of the way to buy a limited DVD release just for new sanctioned cover, especially when there's no features and you're literally buying it for that. Or maybe the appeal is just the the, the signed yeah, see, and numbered me, edition. It's just not enough. It, it's not enough to get me to want to pick these up. Like I no. love the idea of like let's make a series, right? We'll do one a month, like collect them all type thing. We're going to have you know 25 of them total. They're going to be numbered on the spine. They're going to be signed. They're going to be these cool – it would be an awesome thing to have the full collection. But when you're just giving me that and new cover art on a DVD – it's not yeah. worth it. It just no. it, it's kind of pointless. It's totally not that appealing to be honest. I mean, yeah, again the appeal having the numbers on the spines and maybe creating a picture or something like that. Like I think that's what they're doing with the the Jess Franco line. Yeah. Whenever whenever they decide to drop the first <laughs> one. I don't know when that's going to be happening, but you know that's kind of cool. There's ten, and they're supposed to be coming out one a month, and you know they're yeah. create a they're numbered. And I like or whatever. that idea at its core. But I just but, feel like this see, the is appeal just a for me, passion. It is. That's what it feels like. But the appeal for the Jess Franco is that I actually don't even own any of those 10 films. No, that's a good one. Like, I like that. Yeah. that they did that one. More right. obscure. Some of them haven't been released over here. But these, you know, Puppet Master films and Subspecies, how many releases has there been? I mean, for fuck's sakes, you know, 88 films just released Puppet Master. Good and, releases, too. Right? You know, and, and, and the, you know, those, you know, they're releasing all those type of films. And those releases are good. So are people really going to, you know, just grab the, I don't know. Yeah. They're not know. even that good at movies to be honest. Like honestly, we like them, right? But they're not like they're not bona fide like classics. Yeah. Like Pop Master mm-hmm. might be, but there's no way Subspecies 2 is. Yeah, Sub Subspecies 3 is actually my favorite one in that franchise. Subspecies <laughs> 2 is my favorite, but they're still kind of bad. Uh moving yeah. on from that, we have Dead Silence. I thought this was super interesting. It's finally coming to Blu-ray August 11th from uh forget who put that out or who's going to be putting that out if it's like Universal or Paramount or what which, which film? Dead Silence. That's a James oh, Bond's Oh yeah, yeah. Killer puppet. That movie wasn't on Blu-ray before. It, right, isn't that crazy? Like <laughs> it just seems like one of those titles that would have just been released by now. It's like Saw or something, you know. <laughs> that is kind of strange actually. Wow, they just decided to put out it on Blu-ray after all these years. Yeah, it's finally coming, which is good cuz I actually don't own it and I will be picking that up because I actually like that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't see myself uh, upgrading it. I have the DVD. It's a good movie. I actually really do enjoy it. Yeah. So, but I mean, eh. yeah. <laughs> so uh, finally, for the news, wow, this has been a long one. Uh, we have uh, fucking Fangoria actually reported this, I believe, but there is a film called Angst. It's from 1983, and mm-hmm. it is finally hitting U.S. Uh, I know. Actually, on the big screen and in home formats uh, this year. Um, it is coming to us from Cult Epics, uh, who also released a few of George films. Um, <laughs> you know that you know that guy that directed those necromantic films. Yeah, and uh, Duke Toad's <laughs> King. Uh, yeah. So yeah, um, this film. I, I guess uh, I read somewhere that the guy who. It inspired like some shit. I just can't remember wh- what it inspired. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually should have took a note of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, this is pretty cool. It, it sounds like it's some sort of uh, uh, it's based on a real life case of German serial killer Werner Kneisick. Yeah. Uh, 
a madman who is released from prison as we hear he, his extremely troubled thoughts on the soundtrack uh, breaks into an unoccupied house bad news for the owners when they return home the film has been celebrated for its camera work and score uh and claim filmmaker blah blah no gasper no oh yeah gasper no has often cited it as his key inspiration mm-hmm. uh so yeah it's gonna be uncut uncensored uh it's the first um i don't know if it has it been released here before no i don't think it's been released in region one it has i believe a german release or it's got some type of uh, european i was gonna import a long time ago just opted out of it for price reasons but you know thankfully waiting it out and big ups to cult epics for picking up all these european films yeah. and releasing it's going to be released awesome. on dvd and blu-ray august 18th featuring an optically restored murder scene uh and the option to play the movie with or without the prologue the discs will include audio commentaries and interviews uh Man, I, I mean, and I've always shout out to, to call epics, dude. Yeah, I've always wanted to see this film too. I've just never had a chance because you know I, there was bootlegs uh, roaming around for a lot of years and two, but I'm not really one to pick them up all that much, you know. So, yeah, call to exactly epics is good people's man. They're putting up. some fun stuff, dude. Like, I, I from their line that I've seen, you know, the Necromantics and the Deathbed film, like those were really interesting films to put out in like such a high you know quality format in blu-ray mm-hmm. you know and yeah. now they got Dirk toad's king coming out which i know very little about but it, it's very intriguing and now angst this is gonna be cool yeah yeah they've, they've been doing big things for years actually they put out a lot of good stuff but yeah they're really hitting hard right now so very very cool and that's actually gonna wrap up the news all righty yeah, that was that was a lot of news. Yeah, I have to say that was actually quite a bit of news. So, um, yeah, so obviously we've been gone a few weeks here. There's been lots of releases over the last few weeks. I'm probably not going to get into them. You guys know what? Yeah, I actually what did is. cover them on the that many shots that I put out the last oh. the two weeks that we was off. Okay, yeah, I actually haven't even listened to that. So I think some of the viewers out there, listeners, have heard that, and I haven't even heard it yet. Been so busy, I can't even listen to my own show. Well, I guess it was your show, wasn't it? It was the double shot. Well, I shots. mean, it was the it was just, it, you was it, you made an appearance. I actually I added the bloopers in there. Uh, <laughs> and one of the funny things that I heard people say was the uh, if you remember during the recording of the fiftieth. 50 most influential horror films of the last 50 years we had that super long pause where we was arguing about uh grade five. <laughs> oh my god you put that in there <laughs> shut yeah. the fuck up <laughs> i did i did i edited it down a little bit but it, it plays really funny i even busted out laughing when i was uh listening oh my god now i really have to <laughs> <laughs> Listen to that weekend. That's too funny. Yeah. Ah, that's so good. That's so good. Yeah. So, um, the DVD and Blu-ray releases for May 26, 2015. Uh, of course, we just covered a couple of them. First couple from Scream Factory. Got a double feature of the food of the gods and frogs, of course, coming out, which we just mentioned. And Empire of the Ants and Jaws of Satan. Very, very cool. I've actually um, seen zero of those four. Um, yeah, I've, well, Empire of the Ants and Frogs, I've seen. I've never seen the original Food of the Gods, and I've never seen Jaws of Satan, so that's kind of cool. Uh, and then next up from Grindhouse Releasings, we've got Cannibal Ferox, the triple 
uh, disc f- uh, release from, of course, Grindhouse. Um, it can be pretty much on the same lines as like their Cannibal Holocaust and Beyond and stuff, you know, with the soundtrack and, you know, very, very awesome. Super Doing stoked for Cannibal Fearhawks. Oh, yeah, I can't. Man, they're just, they're killing it this year, man. They've released so many good titles. Amazing stuff. Uh, next up from Kino, not a horror film, but one that I'm really interested in. Actually, there's two of them on here. And that's Enter the Ninja and, of course, the sequel Revenge of the Ninja are these that's coming out. From, these, they, are, these, these are the two films that are the precede uh, Ninja 3 that Screen Factory released. <laughs> and these ones are nothing like that one. Uh, <laughs> I remember when Ninja 3 came out, everyone was like, what the hell is this? So different. But, yeah, these are just straight-up Ninja films, but they're, they're fucking awesome. You know, Franco Nero, you know, you can't go wrong with Franco Nero in the first one, so... Um, and then, of course, another film that we just mentioned is uh, from Screen Factory, and that is Gunwoman. I've heard nothing but good things about this one. I'm so stoked to check it out. Yeah, that's a cool just, cover it, too, man. Yeah, man. I, this is so awesome that Screen Factory picked this up because I was actually going to import this from the UK, and then they announced it, and I was like, perfect. That worked out well. Uh, next up from Arrow America, Arrow Video America, or USA, uh, Island of Death, which um, was released on DVD by... Uh, Arrow Video in the UK a couple of years back, but they decided to release it on Blu-ray now. And this movie is fucking bizarre. Um, basically, the director went out of his way to just do shocking things in this one. It, it has like, <laughs> I don't want to ruin anything, but it's got like some, you know, animal fucking and <laughs> like what incest. It's got, yeah, it's got all this type of weird shit going on it, man. He just went out of his way to, it was more of a, you know, kind of a statement piece at the time for, you know, censorship, I think, and stuff. But it's a pretty interestingly odd film. I think it's Greek. I think it's a Greek film. So, um, next, those. yeah, I know, right? Um, oddly enough, actually, Mondo Macabro is starting a Greek line and they just announced a couple films that they're releasing too. So that's kind of strange. Um, <clears throat> next up here from, I believe this is Anchor Bay is re- releasing this, right? Oh, no, this is Dark Sky Films and that's, uh, Let Us Pray on Blu ray. Uh, I haven't really heard much about this one. I haven't, to be either. honest. Yeah, so I don't really know what's up with that. But um, I believe Madman has already been re- has Madman already been released in the US. Or I swear, is it- I've seen people with it. Yeah, I think they might have got some. I don't know. I Maybe think they, they were press been- copies. No, they're not press copies. They're actually convention copies oh, because yeah. they, yeah, down in uh, Texas Frightmare and stuff, they actually had them. I was talking to the guys from Vinegar Syndrome at Wasteland in uh, in Cleveland. And they were really trying to have them there, and they said they weren't going to get them for a couple more weeks. And then they got them, and then, of course, they sold some off at uh, Texas Frightening and stuff, so that's really cool. But yeah, Madman, I think, officially getting released on May 26th. Um, this one is very, very highly sought out, I think, by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um You know, the, the, you know the, the DVDs have been out of print for so long, and apparently the color uh, correction on this is proper, too. So I'm really stoked to see it on Blu-ray. It's going to be awesome. Um, another one here from Synapse Films. They've been, you know, kind of quiet this year. Um, Still waiting well, on all those Argentos. That's the thing, man. They got like so many. I think they have about six or seven films that have been announced. They haven't come out yet. Uh, who knows? There's no release dates. It's really frustrating. But Samurai Avenger, The Blind Wolf. So <laughs> this looks ridiculous. <laughs> this one I actually have coming in the post right now. But, you know, it's Synapse. I have, you know, I like to buy their shit. They always kind of release cool stuff. But... Yeah, Samurai Avenger the Blind Wolf. I don't know. It might be interesting. 
Uh, next up here is a film called Delirium, which, oh my god, man. I was going through the, the releases here. Seriously, Delirium. I have, I think, three films in my collection called Delirium already. <laughs> so this is another one that's ridiculous. And there's another film called Delirium that was on the video nasty list that doesn't even have a release. It's like really strange and odd. As from, this one's released by Monarch Home Video. I don't know. I don't even know what it looks like. Okay. After, after being missing for over a year, Emily returns home, but something came with her. A family struggling with the lack of knowledge about their missing daughter fights to keep her safe. Who can be trusted? I don't know. Who can be trusted? I don't know. It looks terrible to me. It does actually look pretty bad. Uh, another one here. Uh, called Drawn in Blood. I don't know, man. Is this? You think this one's actually like a horror film? I'm not really 100 percent mm-hmm. sure. I have no idea who's releasing that. This one is coming out from all of films. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah, that's right. I remember seeing it on the on the page. Okay. Um, next up here, we got one from Kino on the Redemption line, and that's The Escapees uh, from Gene Roland, which I'm super super stoked for. I'm a huge Gene Roland fan, so heard really good things. I know Brandon actually watched this one on Netflix and said it was like his favorite Gene Roland film, which is crazy to me because I've seen like all of his movies. Um, so except for this one, I haven't seen this one, so I'm really really stoked. Uh, this one has me intrigued because I'm a sucker for these type of films. And this one's called The House Across the Street. You know, they're really just, they have variations of everything for yeah. the house, right? <laughs> the House Across the Street. And, it, you know, the, the cover on this is just a girl in a white dress holding a knife behind her back. Yeah, it's actually kind of a bad cover. <laughs> it kind of is, man. It's so generic looking. Uh, and this one's coming out from Level 33 Entertainment's. Who knows? I, I'm assuming it's like a home invasion. Like the house looks animated deal. and the girl looks real. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like kind of a bad mock-up. Yeah, I, I don't know about that one. Next up is a film called Nightlife. Nightlight. Did I, did I say Nightlife? Yeah. I did, didn't I? Nightlight. That's what I meant to say. I apparently I can't read. And this one is coming out from Lionsgate. Yeah, it says five friends, one game, zero chance of survival. Well, it's one that of those could be games. interesting battle royale style type shit there, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like the most original idea in the world, but you know, yeah, you never goes, know. I guess. Yeah, you just never know. Uh, and another one from all of films here uh, called Zombies from Outer Space, uh, being released just on DVD, I think. Yeah, this That's is strange. a DVD only. Okay, so yeah, Zombies from Outer Space coming out. I believe it's from the fifties. And that is going to do it for the DVD and Blu-ray releases for May 26th, 2015. <laughs> Some okay ones there. Madman's definitely probably the Madman, the Scream Factory releases, Cannibal Ferox. Uh, those are some really solid ones right there. You got like a couple other cool ones, like the Ninja films and stuff like that. Oh, uh, there's actually this, this week is actually pretty crazy because like I have Escapees, you know, Samurai Avenger, the the Ninja films, Madman. I'm not buying Island of Death on Death on Blu-ray. I have the DVD. I'm fine with that. But Gunwoman, you know, Cannibal Ferox and the the Double Futures and Screen Factory. It's a that's a you know an expensive week <laughs> for yeah. people, man. So I don't know, pretty pretty decent week, so. But yeah, it's going to do it for the releases. Yeah. All right. So should we move along into the corners report? Courtesy of Rumorg magazine. And yeah. So I was flipping through the magazine today just before, you know, we were doing the show. 
And of course, this episode is the top 10 horror films of 1968. Oddly enough, there actually is a coroner's report, you know, in the weird stats and morbid facts of a film from 1968 that may or may not be appearing on my top 10 list. I just like absolutely lost my mind. This was not choreographed. This was literally just last minute thing. Open up the brand new issue. Like I said, it's uh, issue 155 from May 2015. And so I had no choice. I have to say this one. So this is the coroner's report of weird stats and morbid facts, courtesy of Rue Morgue magazine. Gene Rowland improvised most of the rape of the vampire from 1968 after losing the script on the third day of shooting. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so he actually lost the fucking script for the film and then improvised the whole film. Um, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, there's actually a fact from 1968 and we're doing the right, show. There's a few I don't know. issues with that. One, you only really go to shoot a movie with one script. Like, mm, we don't need to make any copies just in case something <laughs> happens. Two, how the hell do you lose it? Like, did your, did your dog eat it? I know. I, I mean, it three. is 1968. I guess it wasn't <laughs> as easy just to go back to your computer and just print one out, you know, kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But it is strange. So you, one script and then you lose a third day of shooting, which you probably didn't have anything done. Yeah. You know, that's it's amazing great. how the film came out. Now, when I think about it, I never knew that fact, right? So that's pretty interesting. But just strange, though. That's what awesome. are the chances of coming across a fact from 68 when we're doing a 68 show? Strange. Alrighty. So now what we're going to do, we're going to get into the second drawing and the next three winners in our contest. Yeah. Right, so uh, these ones... Uh, all three of these names, these will be yours, Modes. So whoever you get in here, you'll have to send some prizes to. These are the lucky winners that are going to get uh, some, I don't know what I'm giving out. <laughs> you'll get something. Yeah. All right, so let's do it here. Shake it up a little bit. All right. First name drawn out of the Country Croc butter container. And it is uh, Joanna or Joanna. What is her name? Joanna, I think. Probably it's the her. Joanna. Yeah, I said Joanna because of uh, Joanna Janjacek, who's like the UFC strawweight champion. And when I was, I've been trying to learn her name for when I do videos like predictions and stuff. So, okay. yeah, my bad. Uh, I believe she is part of the Facebook group. I'm not 100 percent sure. I know there is a girl named Joanna on there, and she may or may not be Canadian. I'm not sure. Might be Canadian. I might yeah. be wrong, though. I'm usually wrong. So. <laughs> All right. Next up, the second of the three for moods is Donnie. I don't – I'm not sure who Donnie is, but I know he left the voicemail. <laughs> okay. Well, congrats to Donnie. <laughs> All right. And the final one here for moods is Ron. I think that's Ron from Wisconsin, I believe. Okay. That voicemail kind of rings a bell to me. Well, congratulations, Ron from Wisconsin. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> it's either Ron from Wisconsin or Rob from Wisconsin. Ah, One I of mean, those two. So if you're listening, you know, send me your uh, addresses and, um, yeah, I'll get some uh, prizes out to you guys ASAP. All righty, guys. Yeah, moving along into some voicemails. And I do believe that we've got quite a few this week. So once again, I do thank you guys for phoning in. We really, really appreciate it. We have so much fun playing these. 
don't we, JP? Every oh, week? yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, it, the only negative to the voicemails is hearing my phone ring at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I usually put it on silent when I sleep anyway. Um, but it's always a pleasure to wake up to uh, some voicemails. It's, it's fun. So, yeah, uh, first up, we have one here from the longtime caller, longtime listener, Brandon. Hey, guys, it's Brandon. Great episode, episode 50. Listen to it straight through till 4.30 in the morning. Uh, wonderful. What a soldier. Couldn't, uh, couldn't argue with any of the choices and where they ended up. It was great. Um, as far as the meaning of the ninth configuration, as far as I know, the little research I did after first seeing the movie is it has to do with the scientific explanation of life on Earth. Something with protein molecules had to exist in some form in order for there to be life on Earth, which I find interesting considering the film is more of a, it's well, not more of it, it is a pretty much a faith-based film, you know, about the perils of war and, and mental illness and from there. And I choose to believe that they were all mentally ill and that ultimately the actions that take place throughout the film and at the end of the film lead to the final conclusion. I'm being a little cryptic there because I know Moose hasn't seen the end yet. Uh, as far as this week, I don't really have much new to add. I do want to mention a film that I saw, I've seen a couple times now, but I bought about six, seven months ago and watched and loved it again. And uh, one that doesn't seem to get much love, a Section 3 film called Schoolgirls in Chains. Very misleading title, probably only on the Section 3 list strictly because of the title and the cover art. Definitely um, draws influence from Psycho. And I happen to really love this film. It happens to be a really depressing, sort of deep film. You kind of you kind of connect with the um, with the bad guys in this one. Um, what are your guys' thoughts if you've seen it? Uh, let me know. All right, guys, take care. Bye. So that was Brandon just dropping a little line, telling us how much he agreed and thought that the uh, 50th show played out really well long as his explanation with the ninth configuration which i i agree with you know his assessment of the film i, I kind of got that vibe as well i completely agree too i have watched the end of the film and uh you know i i totally i have to agree with what what brandon said i mean that's really kind of what my feelings are on it too so i mean i don't want to spoil the end or anything too but uh but yeah um but yeah, thank you once again for you know listening to the whole fiftieth episode because you know we till really appreciate. Four in the morning is that what you said? Four, Holy yeah, shit! Till four in the morning. I mean, that's uh, that's soldierism right there, man. That's that's yeah. good stuff right there. Uh, as for uh, it was called School Girls and Chains. Um, that was a that was a band or that was on the third list, right? Yeah, you're right. Um, never seen it. I have not seen that one. There's actually quite a few films on that uh, on that third list that I've never seen before. So yeah, that's one I have not. So you'll have to check that out eventually, huh? Yes, I will have to. All right. Uh, next up, we have a voicemail from Danny, a.k.a. DJ Boy 3275. 3275. All right. Yeah. So Danny, I believe Danny's the first time caller, right? But long time yeah. friend. Well, big ups to Danny for phoning. This is awesome. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Daniel J. Rice, a.k.a. DJ Boy 3275. I have a question for Moods, JP, and Jeremy. Uh, before I get to that question, though, I have a suggestion. As far as body bags goes, um, I honestly feel that you guys should go back to 
maybe once a month instead of every week and then giving each reviewer creative freedom throughout the rest of the month. Uh, that's just a small suggestion. But now I have a question. My question is, for each of you guys, which I want you to name 10 horror films that you love that somebody else recommended to you. That's going to be hard for you guys, but that's my question. Uh, hopefully you guys will put it on 22 Shots of Moods podcast. Uh, if not, that's cool, but wanted to give you guys a call, uh, give you a little bit of my input and thoughts. Uh, peace out, guys. Love you guys, man. Later. Okay, so that was Danny adding a bit of a uh, suggestion to the Body Bags Reviews page. And I'm going to be honest, I like doing the themes weekly, but I actually dislike a lot of the theme choices sometimes. And it's nothing against anybody who comes up with them. Um, I just feel that sometimes uh, we get into these like crazy themes where it's like, one, it's hard to even title them. Uh, you know, I, I like the idea of sticking to like sub genre based or even going out of it a little bit like blood week or something like that. Um, but some of the, some of the harder ones, I do find it a bit, um, a bit of kind of an inconvenience to have to, uh, you know, find some crazy film that only one matches in my collection. And then I have to rewatch a film that I really am uninterested in rewatching. Um, so I'm not sure if I want to go back to the solo uh, one a month thing, but it might not be a bad idea to do for a little while and then maybe bring the week's weekly thing back again. Yeah, I mean it's definitely it's definitely a good uh, idea. I mean I like the uh, the idea of just having complete control over what you review from week to week. Uh, the, the themes are fun, but you know. You know, we're almost in week 90 or something like that. And we've been, do- we've covered a lot of ground with themes. So the themes are getting a little more obscure and harder yeah. to fill, especially but for some I, people. I, f- I find that sometimes that's the problem is I feel like maybe people are trying to think outside the box too much instead of keeping it simple. Like that we have never done like simple themes like body horror. You know what I mean? Like there, there's, there's so many like of simple themes that we've never even touched because I think everybody's trying to come up with something new or unique when really maybe we should just kind of simplify it a little bit and but then you know even with that said though we have covered you know pretty much all the the standard kind of themes you know you know slasher and vampire and things like that yeah you know some of the ones are getting a little more extreme right now too but uh you know i mean it does keep it interesting i know it is a little harder for some people they might not even have some of those films in their collection it's really tough so but yeah, I do like the fact, and there's there's a lot of films that I, I like. I've been wanting to review, mm-hmm. you know, but they just don't fit any of these th- uh, themes and stuff. And you yeah. know, I necessarily don't have the time on my channel. But like, you know, it comes to body bags, and I do miss the times where I'd just be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna review Ku Klux Klan versus neo Nazis. Yeah, you know, yeah. We're, we're not I, we're I not gonna have a theme for too. that. <laughs> it's like you know, kind of throw it out there and get some random titles. But yeah, you know, it's something that we actually haven't considered. But now that you bring it up and bring it to our attention, yeah. We'll talk to the other people and i'm sure they'd be down with that too you know it's just yeah. a lot less thinking too but i think that was kind of the fun of having a theme every week was the fact it's like okay now you know it's very kind of compressed and yeah and you know you, you know gotta what? find something so you know it, it, there's pros and cons
response to it, right? For that's sure. not saying that we can't, you know, do uh, the the once a month theme week for, uh, you know, six months or something, then go back to the weekly theme week. I mean, we can, why does it have to be like either or? We could do a little bit of both. Um, you know, and yeah, we have covered like vampires and slashers, but you also kind of have to remember that if we covered slashers 25 weeks ago, or longer, you can have a Slashers volume too because there's a million fucking Slashers to choose from. Like, it doesn't have to be a different theme every week. Like, exactly. obviously it has to be a different one, you know, when they're close together, but you can you can do, like, nine Stephen King weeks. <laughs> as many films as there is in that category, you know, and that's, that's, that's one of the lesser, uh, you know, populated categories when you have stuff like Slashers and Zombies where there's literally... Yeah, yeah. You can have one for the rest of your life, a week, a, a seven zombie films a week for the rest of your life and not watch and not have them all covered. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it was kind of funny because I even brought it up in the in our group talk there. You know, we, we people were throwing out these really extreme, uh, you know, themes and stuff. And then all of a sudden I was like, we're talking like in week, uh, I don't know. I think it's even coming up or, or we just, I don't, I can't remember, but it was like way, way down the list. Like in, it's going to be like week 90 something or whatever. And I'm like, what about werewolf week? <laughs> like yeah. Right. Well, if you look that. at mine, mine are usually pretty simple. I did like mm-hmm. killer insects or something, you know, or I did, uh, vampires that one week because we'd never mm-hmm. done fucking vampires. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, honest to be honest, most of the themes that I've come up with have been pretty standard and easy. And I do consider that when I'm coming up with one, you know, I, I, you know, so. Yeah. But yeah, thank thanks, Danny, for you know bringing it up because we'll definitely bring it up to the, the other guys. And I'm sure they'd be down, you know, just go yeah, back to one a month and, bit, you know, and uh, just get so we can get a variety of films. And I think that's probably the key right there, mm-hmm. you know, is having a variety because everybody in body bags has you know, different tastes in films. You know, we've got Laura, we've got Matt, we've got, you know, all these people with very, very different types of tastes. And stuff. Like, with me, you're going to get a lot of trauma, you yeah. know, and, and shit like that, that I'm going to review. Cause I like to review things that are kind of a lot outside the box and kind of, you know, things that people probably wouldn't buy unless, you know, they saw a review or something, but I always found yeah. my style to be very medium. Like it's just a mm. medium of, I've done stuff from shot on video weird stuff all the way up to like mainstream films like uh you know what doom or something you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i haven't actually done unless it's come down to like a specific theme or something but i don't really do a lot of the the more known ones so you know i try to keep it to you know yeah which is low budget then you have a fair variety of everybody covering you know different things which exactly which it works out so but yeah so uh, then he asks us uh, 10 films that uh, someone has recommended to you that you love, which is always fun. I think that's one of the main reasons we've all probably got involved with, you know, first YouTube. I mean, that we all stem from a YouTube background in, in this podcast, which is which is interesting because I've had conversations with so many people that have podcasts and almost I think none of them have a background stemming from starting in youtube and yeah i find that incredibly interesting and kind of unique that we've came from that that uh part of the horror community um so you got some that you'd like to throw out uh yeah i guess i can go first uh the first one comes to my mind and i'm just doing this like right off the top of my head so keep uh keep count jp i'll try to come up with 10 all right um the first one i i thought of was uh no one lives 
I, honestly, I can't remember who recommended some of these films to me, but No One Lives was a film that I, I remember seeing the cover for, and I was like, I don't know about that. I just kind of wrote it off. And then someone said to me, they're like, man, the cover is very misleading to the film. And you need, you really need to check it out. You might be pleasantly surprised at, you know, what happens in this film. And I ended up checking out and fucking loved it. It just blew my mind. I was like, what? <laughs> like this cover doesn't look, the cover makes it kind of look like an action film. It's kind of an interesting one. Uh, have you seen this one, JP? No, no, I haven't. Oh, it's fucking fantastic. Uh, another one, actually, I'll, I'll mention one that Danny, um, actually recommended to me and that's the Boneyard. Uh, <laughs> Boneyard is such a weird and goofy <laughs> film, but you know, Danny recommended me this one. He's like, cause I was never sure about it and I never really knew what the hell it was. And he's like, no, it's actually really fun. It's a really kind of strange film. And so he recommended me that and picked it up and he actually even showed me where I could get it for a decent price. Cause I remember it was out of print at one time. I don't know, but uh, yeah, big ups to Danny for recommending the Boneyard. It's a really odd and strange film. <clears throat> uh, actually another one that either Danny or I think Danny recommended to me, or maybe it was Scotty. I'm not sure. It was probably Danny though. And that's the seasoning house. Um, those guys are always on the, on the, you know, on the ball with these, these type of films. And, uh, uh, the seasoning house was a really interesting watch. Uh, glad that, um, that they recommended that one. Cause I loved it. Um, another one recently that was recommended to me, uh, inadvertently, I guess kind of, um, but it was Jesse recommended me, uh, darkness. It's like a really low budget type, um, like vampire kind of zombie. It's a really, it's a really fucking gory ass film, man. Uh, really low budget took like a few years to shoot and stuff. I think I talked about it on a cast previous. I believe I did, or maybe I was going to, I'm not sure, but darkness movies, fucking awesome. Definitely give it a shot. It was released by barrel entertainment. Um, let me think here. Uh, most recently actually Brandon recommended that we watch sleep tight. Yeah, that's that's one of my picks. That you know, and I never really knew much about it. He recommended it to us, and uh, well, it ended up making the Hall of Fame. That movie was really, really brilliant on all levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can guys, we did we did a full length review as a main review on um, what two shows ago, I believe. Yeah, it was episode uh, forty nine. Episode forty nine. So you can check that out. But Sleep Tight, fantastic film. Uh, uh, I got one. <clears throat> Jeremy recommended me a film called President's Day. Now, I remember when this one came out, I was not sure. Just It kind of looked like your run-of-the-mill type slasher film. Um, it's actually got a appearance from uh, Cool Duder, Sean C. Phillips in it. <laughs> and actually, his death in the film is absolutely a fucking blast. It's so funny. Uh, but President's Day is, um, you know, a slasher film set in a, in a high school. And, you know, it's to do with, um, you know, the high school president and stuff like that. Uh, really awesome film it was surprisingly good you know for what it was the acting was pretty good and the gore was fantastic in the film which you know i was surprised uh but you know if jeremy's gonna be recommending a low-budget slasher film it's probably pretty good because he seems to hate like 95 percent of everything so that was surprising to me um uh another one i remember back in the day when i first started on youtube i remember watching od666 and uh, he recommended a film called blood junkie to me he actually left a comment on one of my videos he got he's like you got to check out blood junkie and oddly enough dubby actually reviewed it this week on body bags <laughs> now when i think about it but the original recommendation for me was from od666 666 uh, blood junkie and he's like yeah it's released by Troman's low budget slasher film blah 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 and i ended up fucking loving it 
like I've recommended this movie to everybody possible. I just try to get it out there. Um, but yeah, um, fantastic film, fantastic film. Um, what's another one recently that was recommended to me? Um, oh, actually, no, I, I know one that was recommended to me from Tat, from Tattoo Dorman. He was an original host on Body Bags, actually, and that was Adam Chaplin. I'd never oh, yeah, heard of the yeah. film. Adam Chaplin was recommended to me by him. He's like, you got to see this shit, man. It's like a, it's almost like, in a way, it's almost cartoony, but it's not. It's like really over the top, gory blood. It's kind of done like comic book style a little bit. Um, and I was like, okay. So I checked it out and just fell in love with it. That's like another really great film that was recommended to me. Um, have to throw this one out. I remember, uh, Dave, Dave, Mr. Parker recommended me a film called The Devil's Business released by Mondo Macabro. Um, it was a film that came out a couple years back. It got released here recently and I just fell in love with it. I believe I reviewed it on the podcast, but that was recommended to me by Dave. And whew, how many is that? Are we keeping track? I think, I think that's about 10. I wasn't keeping track. I kept track to like five and then I forgot. <laughs> I think that's actually nine. I'm not sure though. But oh, anyways, I got one more a film that was recommended to me a few years back by somebody. And then, uh, when I was doing my 1981 series, my 52 horrific weeks, 1981 series, um, it was getting late in the, in the, in the year. And I think it was in like the week forties or something like that. And like, Hey, do you have uh, mystic Sabaldi coming up? And I was like, no, I don't have that movie actually. So it's not going to be reviewed. So it was recommended to me. And then I know Tara for Tom actually recommended to me. Um, I remember in a comment or something like that, but I checked it out, reviewed that actually on the podcast, confused, confused the hell out of Jeremy also too. Um, but mystic, mystics and Bally, fantastically odd weird film but it was recommended by a couple people to me so i think that's 10 i think it is all right all right uh one that comes to my mind right away when i think of like recent recommendations that was you and jeremy with alice kills because i absolutely love that film and you guys you know praised the hell out of it and i'm like i guess i gotta see this one and and i did see it and i loved it and uh you guys were definitely right on that one Mm-hmm. Um, that was probably the film that Ian's like recommended to me. The that was like in the early days of the podcast where Ian just kept you know mentioning it and like you got to see it, you got to see it, and I, oh. I finally picked it up for five dollars at Walmart. I was like, holy shit, super cheap, you know. Um, another film I I can't remember who recommended it to me, but this was early YouTube, and uh, you know, early for me anyway. And I was talking about how I loved like Chud and like that uh, slimy grimy uh new york setting and uh somebody recommended me basket case which i actually wasn't even familiar with those films at all and i love basket case basket case is one of my favorites um from that um, style dude oddly enough look at the shirt i mean you guys can't see me while listening <laughs> but i'm actually literally wearing a basket case shirt right now <laughs> he definitely is he definitely is That's strange um Another one was uh, Bedeviled. I forget who recommended it to me, but they actually sent me a copy of it. Um, and wow, I was yeah. blown the fuck away with that Great movie. Film. That movie was amazing. And you know when you someone tells you like, yo, this movie is really good. Um, so you already have high expectations. And then those expectations are blown out of the water. That's when you have like an amazing movie, and Bedeviled was definitely that one. For me. Recently, did a uh, top ten Tuesday on top Asian films, and that one was in my top ten. Oh yeah, for sure. yeah, I love that. Film. I think that's a South Korean one, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, one that uh somebody recommended to me. I think it was like you remember that guy like ate the chosen one. 
he was like popping oh, yeah. on you. I think he still does stuff, but no, he, he's still doing videos. Yeah, um, he like way back when I like first started. It was before I even started. Um, you know how you like just one video leads you to the next when you're like trying to find people to watch before you start YouTube. It was like a weird time. I, yeah. I found one of his videos and. I admit he was talking about like trauma and I was like, I don't really like trauma like in the comments or something. And he recommended me poultry geist and I actually love that movie. So that, that's one of those weird trauma films that like I extremely enjoy. And it kind of gives me hope to check out more trauma films because you know, I, my, uh, you know, well that I'm pulling my trauma knowledge from isn't that deep. So, uh, you know, I really enjoyed poultry geist though. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, another one that I used to love, but after we talked about it recently, I just found it kind of average. But there was a time where I loved this movie. Uh, this was back when I was kind of just on the, like, had, didn't do anything on YouTube, but I, I surfed, like, a lot of horror websites. One that I used to go to all the time was Horrorbed, and that one is, like, shut down now. It's changed into something else. It used to be a really cool place. And uh, there was this guy, his name was like Obscure Cinema. He was like one of the people who like posted articles and stuff. And he recommended me uh, Blood Diner. Um, and at the time I was like, holy shit, this movie's so weird. Like i never seen anything like it. And I loved it back then. Now uh, it's kind of average for me. But back then, mm-hmm. dude, that movie was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely talked about that one on here. So Yeah, I'm trying. Uh, Cold Prey. Jeremy recommended me Cold Prey. And uh, that one was fucking super good. Like, I mm-hmm. I was really surprised with how good that one was. Like, it was like a modern day, like, slasher that was, like, uh, really, like, cool, done, like, atmospheric-wise, like, in the snow, stuff like that. That that was a really, really uh, fun one for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're gonna, the sequel's awesome, man. They need to release yeah, part you know, three. that, that bums me out because I, I still have not seen that sequel. Um, I actually prefer as much as I like Cold Prey. I actually prefer the sequel. Yeah, yeah, the sequel's awesome, dude. It's really, really good. They need to. Someone in Region One needs to pick up the rights to the Part Three and release that shit because it does have a um, European release or whatever. But it's only um, uh, there's no subtitles. Yeah. Um. Why? Who put out the second one? Uh, The second one was put out by. Shell Factory. Was did Shell Factory put out the first one as well or no? No, I don't think so. I think they put out part two, or am I mean, am I backwards? I can't remember. I'm pretty sure that Cold Prey Two was put out by Shell Factory. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. Uh, another one. Uh, somebody recommended to me. Uh, who I, I actually don't remember, but it was on one of my videos. They commented, and it was. Uh, I was talking. I think it was a fright tube review i think we did a werewolf theme way back on the fright tube or something and i reviewed like the feeding or some weird bad werewolf movie and somebody was like hey you should check out uh, big bad wolf and uh, i eventually didn't that i that movie is fun dude that movie is awesome. so much fun <laughs> yeah that's a good um, one. another one is the lost somebody recommended i check out that one and it was super cheap on blu-ray uh and I really, really enjoyed that one as well. I think that was a pick of the week for me at one mm-hmm. point. Jack Ketchum. Yeah, yeah. That one, that one's a weird movie, but I just love the style, the setting. Uh, it's just an interesting story, and it just ends in like a complete like bloodbath. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess another one was Pieces of Talent, which you recommended to me, like kind of. 
you did, and I forgot about it, and then I watched it. So I'll just credit you as the recommendee. <laughs> yeah yeah uh how many i think that that has to be close to 10 right yeah that's 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 good enough all right yeah but there's literally so many that that i could pull from but those were the, just the ones i was thinking of off the top of my head mm-hmm. uh so yeah um thank you for calling in danny we'll definitely take uh your yep. you know uh suggestion into consideration uh but right now we're going to move on to another voicemail by the homie Derek. Hey guys, Derek here. I got a, a good question for you guys this week. If you w- would ever want to see two mongoloids from two different films fight, who would you want to see? <laughs> this is interesting. I personally would like to see Junior from The Unseen fighting Pluto from The Hills Have Eyes. I think so. I don't know who <laughs> win, but that'd be interesting. So, I'd like to hear some answers, guys. Be wicked awesome. Peace out. So that is Derek. Uh, obvious answer for me is Victor Crowley taking on Jason Voorhees. They're one and the same. Hmm. That's a really interesting question. Where um, you the, can go... I've, He'll have, unseen, he'll have Ice eh? Clan versus the Wrong Turn Clan. Yeah, I mean that would that would be interesting too. Um, hmm, man, you got me mongoloids, eh? I don't really know what that is. I just assume it's some kind. Well, of I think it's just like hideously deformed people, you know, like yeah. I'm uh, sure you could work like the Basket Case brother Belial into one of these versus matches. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny that you said that I was thinking that, but I don't know if that is fully considered a mongoloid. Um, I don't know, man. I really don't know. Uh, the Victor Crowley one you kind of stole from me right there. Oh, was, yeah, sure. Was, no, it's thinking. it's literally the most obvious one, right? I mean, Jason is referred to as an, a mongoloid from Tom Savini who created him. <laughs> and then you have Victor Crowley who is essentially a copy of Jason Voorhees. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I don't so know, you just agree that that idea is probably the best, right? But that's a good one. That's, a, that's <laughs> definitely a good one. Uh, I don't know, man. I would probably have to say, you know what? Actually, I think it would be really funny. This would be a funny ass battle. I think you did mention. Um, did you mention the wrong turn, clan? Yeah. Like the, Okay, so you take those three guys, those three mongoloids. I think that's what you can kind of consider them because they kind of look like that, right? They're yeah. very deformed and stuff. I want to see. <laughs> this is so stupid, but I want to see sloth. Oh my god! The, the Goonies take on that whole clan right there. Because I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I had to go outside the box on that, you know, right? Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, sloth could be considered to be a, like a mongoloid. Yeah, sloth it's is like all sorts of messed up, dude. He's all messed up, but I want to see him because, you know, he's big. You know, he's monstrous. Wearing and a Superman shirt and shit. Exactly. Take on the wrong turn crew. Yeah. Just so. straight rage mode. <laughs> Thanks, Derek. That question was fun. All right. Awesome. Next up, we have a voicemail from, I believe, a first-time caller. This is Josh from Detroit. Hey, guys. It's uh, Josh from Detroit. And uh, I just thought I would call in 
a kind of a fun question, maybe. Uh, your favorite decapitation scene in, in a slasher or giallo? You know, uh, I was just watching the other night, uh, Sleepless by Argento. And it was just an awesome scene with a, where a ballerina gets taken out. You don't see anything on screen, but just the way the prosthetic falls, you still see the eyes moving and the mouth moving and stuff. It's kind of creepy. And then probably the, the scene from uh, Hide and Go Shriek in the elevator, uh, where the, the elevator takes the girl's head off. Uh, it was kind of a crazy scene. It's probably one of the only good scenes in the movie, to be honest. But uh, I just thought I'd ask a question. Uh, keep up the good work, guys. Uh, take it easy. All right, thanks, Josh from Detroit. We appreciate any first-time callers. We, I, I get really excited when I hear new people calling. Mm. I don't know about you. Yeah, that's cool, man. That's actually the second person from Detroit to call in. Danny's from Detroit, yeah, too. Yeah. So big ups to uh, the Motor City. Yeah. yeah. Um, favorite decapitation? That's a good question, man. I never really thought of that before. Um, you know, I, I'll say mine, which should surprise nobody. I mean, it's 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 the classic one that is uh, from Friday 13th Part 1. Mrs. Pamela Voorhees getting beheaded by the machete. Uh, man. I, I, I just it, the way that it's done in slow mo. She picks it up and the music, and it's like, Doom, and, and it's just like, and it's slowly roll. I, the, I could watch that scene over and over again. I, I remember being a kid and just thinking it was so epic. So, so that that has a special place in my heart. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's good. Uh, decapitations could it include, you know, gunshots that ooh, explode ooh. heads? <laughs> I know that your favorite is from Friday Thirteenth Part Eight when Jason Jason punches dude's head off. I know, man. Garbage can. <laughs> How many times have I mentioned that? <laughs> that has got to be. I think that it's is so literally ridiculous, dude. That part is literally one of the funniest decapitations of all I time. I just picture the director being super serious, like, okay, so so he's beating Jason up, and he's he's giving him a left. And he's giving him a right, and Jason's just taking it, and he's backing up, and then Jason just punches him one time, boom! His head goes flying into the dumpster, and like everybody around him's like, "Yeah, that's cool, man." <laughs> <laughs> I could just picture him thinking it was like this epic ass thing, and it's just so cheesy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that scene; it's ridiculous. Uh hmm. Best decapitation scene. I like the. uh the decapitation scene from um, video violence um, where oh, they yeah. basically just cut the head right off and it like falls on the ground. It's just vicious, man. Like it's a shot on video film, but it's uh, – I don't know, man. The effects are kind of good for what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like I even used that decapitation scene in in an intro that I do on – that I have on YouTube. Um, you know, I, I like it that much. What uh, about – wasn't – the uh, Day of the Dead. Didn't dude get his head ripped off? Yeah, yeah. There's a good That's one. That's a good one. Um, you know, there's a I, lot of good ones that obviously aren't coming to our mind right now because we're doing this on the fly. But yeah, I mean, dude, there are amazing oh, decapitations. You know, one I really enjoy is uh, um, the one from Reanimator. The, I haven't seen that. Yeah, so that that one's really cool too. You know, the when I think of like heads coming off, so I always think of. You know, the shotgun blast from Maniac. It's not really oh, a decapitation. Yeah. It's more it's of an like, explosion, but it literally it, is just the head. Like, it, it, it's gone. <laughs> that's definitely the best head explosion. It, best head explosion, exactly. Yeah. But, I don't know. Like I said, I think the most comical decapitation of all time is probably uh, 
um, Friday the 13th part eight. <laughs> Her buddy punches <laughs> so his head ridiculous. off. It's so fucking stupid. Oh my God, man. Oh my God. What are you thinking? All right. Let's, let's move on to the next okay. place. Mal. I think, I think this is, uh, now was it Ron from Wisconsin or Rob from Wisconsin? Ron or Rob? I'm not sure. I, All right, I, well, well, we, we have Rob we on Ron. the line here, okay. you know, ready in the voicemail queue. So if he says, hi, guys, this is Rob from Wisconsin, then we know it's Rob. But if he doesn't, then we know that it's Ron. So uh, okay. let, let's see what happens here. Hey, guys, Rob from Georgia calling in oh, with another Georgia. question of the week. First, I wanted to say, what an outstanding episode 50. Not surprised to see Night of the Living Dead get the number one pick. A worthy choice indeed. If you ever get the chance, the cemetery up in Evans City, PA, a very cool place to visit. Anyhow, stumbled on Matt's body bags review of The Legacy. Man, I remember seeing that at the drive-in with John Carpenter's The Fog. What an awesome experience as a kid. I think I was like 10 at the time. Anyhow, Matt couldn't remember who had directed that flick, and I thought to myself, dang, who did do that? Of course, a quick trip over to IMDb revealed it to be none other than Richard Marquand. A couple years later, he would go on to direct Return of the Jedi for George Lucas, and Spielberg was unable to. My question is this. What director most surprised you with a sudden change in genre, say from horror to another, as with James Wan's move from The Conjuring to Furious 7? Is there a director who really blew your mind away by having done a pretty good horror piece then did something totally off the wall? Anyhow, great job, guys. Can't wait to hear. Peace. I love how enthusiastic this guy is in his voice. Yeah. He he left a good one on the 50th show. Uh, Mm. Keep calling back next season, brother, because, you know, I love your voicemails. They're they're a lot of fun. Um, First, I... what did he? Oh, he mentioned uh, visiting the uh, cemetery in PA. I mean, I I should probably do that, considering I'm like right here in Pittsburgh, pretty much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe maybe someday. Um, you know, when he mentioned the uh, what what act, uh, director surprised you to go from a horror film to a non horror form film, it, it sucks because he kind of stole my answer. Because the first thought I was like James Wan. I mean, he went from all these horror films straight into like a big ass blockbuster. Franchise. Yeah, that's that's kind of the, mo- the that's kind of the obvious answer right now because it's just so stunning, right? Complete opposite. I was thinking the same thing right off the bat too. But yeah. I actually have one. I I thought of one right away too though. Is it the same one that I thought of? No, no. Actually, the first one, I mean, this one, you know, it's not his first film. He's done different genres and stuff. But just to what he was doing after, I mean, the films that this guy did before were, you know, um, very kind of interestingly cool films. But uh, anyways, I'll just throw it out here. Uh, Robert Rodriguez. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Robert okay. Rodriguez. So, you know, he his, um, his directed films are quite interesting, but... Uh, of course, in 1996, he directed um, From Dust Till Dawn. And before that, he'd done El Mirachi and, uh, you know, Road Racers and Desperado and stuff. But, you know, and then he went on to do The Faculty and stuff like that. But then a couple years later, he ended up directing Spy Kids. And he and ended up directing Spy Kids 2 and Part 3. Yeah. That, that is fucking strange, you man. Know, I that think is a he's really strange. been on record to say that he made those movies for his kids. Yeah. But, like, it's just so it is weird. It is weird. Different. Have you seen those movies? 
I have never seen them. I've never seen those movies. I no. see, well, this is interesting for me because the year that those came out, I was, you know, I was still a kid somewhat. So I did watch, you know, the first two or three Spy Kids movies. Mm-hmm. They were pretty cool, dude. And he managed to like lump Danny Trejo in there and shit. And he was like the cool uncle Machete. His name was Machete. Uh, it was mm-hmm. the dope, dude. Pretty cool. Actually, <laughs> another one that came to my mind right away is, uh, of course, David Cronenberg. You know, David Cronenberg's known for doing so many interestingly odd body horror type films and really strange films from the late seventies and early eighties. And then, you know, come into the late nineties and two thousands and stuff, he just completely switched, switched genres. Right. He's doing like, you know, you know, I think he did, um, uh, what's the one I'm thinking of? Uh, uh, history of violence was directed Mm. by him, which is like a total switch. You know, I was like, what the fuck is going on with David (laughs) Cronenberg? But, but now his films are getting even like way off, you know, like he did that Cosmo, whatever the fuck it was, um, film a couple years ago, which I didn't really care for. Um, but yeah, you know, he's had a switch in, in genres quite drastically. It's kind of a shame he doesn't do horror films anymore because that's obviously what is, where his calling is, you know, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, but. I agree. Um, before you still like all of them, I'll just throw mine out there that I thought of besides James Wan and that is, uh, Sam Raimi. Oh, yeah. Uh, the totally. Spider-Man films, like I know, fuck, is that's, that's kind of gr- weird. Like the guy who's running through the woods with two by fours is now doing creative ass shit in like the Spider-Man films. I remember because that film came out two thousand three, I believe the first Spider-Man came out, or it was really early two thousand one, two thousand two, somewhere around there. And I remember when somebody told me like that guy made Evil Dead. I'm like, really? <laughs> I, I didn't know at the time, you know. And I was like, I still find it kind of surprising that he he made. Like and then he did the Wizard of Oz shit. He went back to horror for a brief moment and dragged me to hell. But like, Sam Raimi, come back. We need you. Same thing goes with uh, Peter Jackson, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Peter Jackson's a great choice. I mean, you go from doing Bad Taste and Dead Alive, and you know, even the Frighteners, and then he did one in the late nineties. I think it was kind of like a love story, and then Lord of the Rings. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, like what, what the, the hell. Fuck? Yeah. yeah, like there's really so many of them, man. I can mm-hmm. think of Jack Hill too. Jack Hill's another one. You know, he did uh, Spider Baby, which is really interesting. Then he just kind of switched over to like black exploitation films, mm-hmm. you know, and did a, like a lot of those type of films in the in the 70s. You know, Coffee and uh, um, of course Foxy Brown and, and among films, he's done lots of really good ones. But he had quite the switch in uh, in you know genres right there too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, so there there is a lot of them, and it, it's always. I'm always very happy. Like, I'm happy for James Wan. Like, he made it big. Like, he's he's going to be rich as shit now. Uh, but I still want him to come back, you know? Don't forget about where you started, you know? And I feel that way with Sam Raimi and all those guys. Like, I, I love their horror films so much. I, like, I want them to return. You know, they can do as many blockbuster action movies as they want. But, like, just, just give us a little bit more horror every once in a while, too, you know? Yeah. Good point. All right. Um, so next up, we have one more voicemail. This one's coming from the homie Tyler, one of the winners of the contest, I believe. So uh, yep. here is Tyler. Hey, guys. Tyler again. Not hammered this time. Probably the only time that will ever happen. I want to make sure I got, you, I got a call in for your next episode, 51. So lately, I've been on a kick with a lot of art house films. I'm realizing I like those a lot more than I thought I did. So, asking you guys for each of you to give me a recommendation, one piece of a recent art house horror film 
that you guys think is spectacular? Say in the last three years, keep it like that. Um, and that's about it. Look, episode 50, good choice of number one. No argument there. Have a good one. Nice. That, that's Tyler. Thanks for calling in. I always enjoy Tyler's voicemails as well. And he said, you know, this, I'm calling in not hammered this time. This will probably be the last time that happens. That's, that's funny. I like that. Uh, so he wants to know an art house film over the last couple of years. This would kind of probably be Jeremy's territory more than mine. Um, but I, I think I'll go with, uh, antiviral. Uh, I definitely think that one was really art housey and, uh, it's definitely a good movie. I didn't love it as much as moods and Jeremy, but, um, they both thought it was spectacular, mm-hmm. uh, so I do recommend that one. The first one that comes to my mind right away is Under the Skin. That's very art housey, uh, kind of strange, um, with Scarlett Johansson, of course. Uh, the, you know, the coolest thing about that film is that you get to see her buck naked in there. So, you know, it's always <laughs> a plus, but I, I recommend that one. It's, you know, obviously from last year or whatever. It was, uh, such a great film. So I recommend that one. Uh, it, that was what part of the question was. He wanted newer. Oh uh, yeah, in the films. last three years. Okay, so under the skin. Oh, what are some newer art house films that I've seen? Um, I don't it, know. It's really weird for me because you never know in, if something's going to be like an art house film until you watch it and you're like, oh, this is like an art house film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I always have trouble like thinking of the ones off the top of my head. Um, I think antiviral was like really the only one <clears throat> jumped to my mind. I haven't seen under the skin. But I have heard people say that about it. Yeah, I, I got us under the skin. Definitely. Um, I don't know. I get the the term art house too is kind of it's an interesting one because people consider different films to be art housey and yeah. Then, um, Ooh, but, um, I would say maybe Stoker is is a little art housey. Yeah, that's, um, that's a good choice. That's and a good choice. Stoker is fantastic. I loved Stoker way more than Antiviral. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's really good. It really is. It's not a, a huge horror film, but that film, there's so much symbolism and, you know, metaphors and under, you know, just not in your face stuff, but it's all there for you to find. It's, it's all laid out in front of you, but it's just hidden. And I, I love, I, the cinematography in that film, amazing. I really want, I actually picked up Stoker on Blu-ray for like five bucks at a, uh, um, fucking big lots. And, I still haven't even popped it open. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it before when, <clears throat> when it was uh, in the red box. I rented it, but I, I need to watch it on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I mean, this one isn't from the last couple of years, but we did mention earlier in the show, and that's Deathbed. Very kind of artsy. Oh, that's a early art house film. Like that is that yeah. is like it's very poetic. It's weird. It's yeah. It, it's it definitely definitely fits in the art house category. I, I definitely mm-hmm. and you know you might as well say that it is newer because there's probably no way of seeing it before that called ethics release. That's actually a really good point. <laughs> a really good point. So, but yeah, I don't know. There there has been quite a few, but I just you know well, we're doing we this on the top of our heads. So. of watching with the couple that we've mentioned. Exactly. So. Enjoy. You know, if you buddy. haven't seen Under the Skin, definitely check it out. I really enjoyed it. So as well as Stoker. Yeah, Stoker's awesome. Yeah. Alrighty, so moving along here, we're going to get right into our segments, and that is going to be uh, Picks of the Week this week um, for myself. I don't have an Italian stallion this week, so I'm going to change it up a little bit and just go with a uh, Pick of the Week. Um, <clears throat> so uh, 
This one right here I want to talk about uh, is from 2014. It's an Australian flick called Chocolate Strawberry Vanilla, directed by Stuart Simpson. Um, this one right here is classified as like a like a it's like a dark comedy slash drama slash psychological thriller slash horror film. Um, it's basically like your ideal type cult film. Um, it basically follows a uh, your main character Warren Thompson, uh, playing by Glenn Maynard. Um, he is a owner of a uh, uh, ice cream truck. Uh, he's a very, very lonely guy. He's very odd. He's very kind of, you know, he's very awkward to be around. He, he almost comes off like he's a, uh, um, he's almost kind of slow in a way, but he's not. He's just that awkward, you know, that you get the impression. But the cool thing about the film is that you feel sorry for him right away in the film. He just, you know, that he's lonely and he just wants to find love in his life. And, uh, you know, he goes out every single day in his, uh, in his ice cream truck and just sets up on the same spot every single day and sells ice cream to people. And, and uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but the thing with Warren is that he's obsessed with this TV show and this one certain character on this really crappy TV show. I love the clips that they show, you know, they, they totally made it look like the worst, like, you know, cop drama show on <laughs> around it stuff. It's really funny, but he becomes obsessed with this, uh, the main actress on this show. And of course, uh, uh, one day she, you know, kind of, um, you know, comes up to his ice cream because they're actually filming in this location where, you know, where he sets up every day. And he, she apparently, you know, she comes up to the, uh, the ice cream truck and he just becomes even more obsessed with her. And basically the whole, the movie is, you know, him, you know, being obsessed with her and, you know, just, it's more of a character study on him and, you know, it's a little bit psychological and stuff, but, but yeah, my thoughts on this one, um, very very intriguing film it's it kind of gets right to the point it only runs something like uh like 80 minutes or something like that so it's right to the point but it's this character study of this guy and it's just it's like very dramatic and it's got these comedic moments in it but you know like i said you feel sorry for the character the entire time but it's so intriguing because you don't know really where it's going to take you and i really enjoy this about the film you know the progression in the film and where where it ends up going is it's really quite satisfying it's just an amazing character study and uh really lots of cool things going on with these really interesting characters that come and go throughout the uh the ice cream truck and stuff and um you know, it's just, uh, it's a very simple premise, but executed so perfectly, uh, really interesting soundtrack to it. But the thing that sells this film the most is, uh, Glenn Maynard's, um, portrayal of Warren Thompson, this, this really lonely character who's kind of, you know, almost delusional and he just does really odd things. And, you know, he, he, there's a lot of scenes in this film where he's like masturbating to the TV and shit like that. It's just, it really adds to it though. It's, like, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of awkward when you watch it, you're like, what the fuck? But it's so fitting. Cause he's so fucking lonely. You feel sorry for him. And, uh, you know, without giving anything away, man, it's, it's one of those films you just have to check out for yourself. You can't really say a whole lot about it. Cause you don't want to ruin anything, but wow, what a fantastic movie. I was just blown away by this, man. Um, this was actually, uh, Dave's, favorite film of last year um and it's not necessarily like a full-blown horror film like i said it's it's a bonafide like cult film i can see this one becoming a little more popular throughout time mm-hmm. uh once it gets a release over here this is the, the copy i have is like a region two release it's like i said it's an australian film um so hopefully it gets released over here so more people get a chance to see it but i can't highly recommend 
uh, chocolate, strawberry, vanilla enough. It's just a fantastic piece and just one of those cinematic journeys that you go through and you feel so satisfied. And that's the coolest thing about it. You know, I just, I was like, awesome. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, can't really say a whot more about it, but I highly recommend it. I've had to rate this one nine and a half out of ten. Loved it so much. Just a great, great film. Everybody need to check it out. So hopefully it'll get a release over here, like I said. But you can get it on Amazon UK for super cheap. Like I only paid four or five pounds for it. So it's cheap. Yeah, that, that, that one sounds pretty interesting. I did see a little bit of buzz about that one. Um, <clears throat> and I remember because the title is so like memorable. It's, it's one that stands out, like obviously ice cream flavors and, you know, I, I, it was, I was just like, that's a cool title. Like that's interesting. That got my attention. I like one of the quotes that's on the cover here. It says sad, horrific and bitterly humorous. You know, that really does sum it up. You know, it is, like I said, you feel super sad for this character. You know, you feel for him. It's got horrific moments. It's got like some really, it's got, it's got pretty much all type of genres going on in this. And like I said, you know, it's classified as a comedy, but it's not, it's not a comedy. It's like a black comedy just with very kind of hints of moments where you go, <laughs> you know, <you're> like, <laughs> but you're so engulfed in the character. You're like, fuck, I shouldn't really be laughing at it, you know, cause you, you feel fucking bad for him. So Check it out. Chocolate, strawberry, vanilla. Awesome stuff. Cool, cool. Uh, my segment this week is going to be another closer look at this is where I take a Blu-ray release. Typically, it's been a Scream Factory release and kind of review the film and the special features, kind of everything that is involved in the release. Uh, the film that I chose this time is one that <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, Toby Hooper's Life Force from 1985. Uh it follows a group of astronauts who are kind of um, observing Haley's Comet and they get a little closer and they see that like inside it is this uh, like chamber filled with these like bat like creatures and there's these pods and there's these naked people in these pods. They take them back. Uh, they lose contact with that shuttle. They send another shuttle out. They see that uh, everybody's kind of dead and the shuttle's like burned up. Uh, so then they bring the uh, space fucking bodies back to Earth. Uh, there they kind of awaken and they're sort of like these space vampires. Uh, and they kind of escape. One is a very, very attractive uh, woman who walks around naked like the entire film. Um, completely naked uh, has very nice boobs if you will <laughs> um, yes which is one of the better things in the film and you know i i don't need nudity in films you know i, I i'm perfectly fine without it but uh it says something when like that's kind of what you remember about the film um is the nudity because uh, this film is goddamn boring and uh i believe moods has said that in the past and and that is really what's like wrong with the film is it is boring as hell but you know back to the story uh she escapes she drains the life force out of people uh you know that's the title of the film it's it's kind of like a vampire but instead of blood it's just uh the force of life within you uh then it's like an all-out assault on i believe i think they're in like paris or something Mm. And they kind of transform them into like zombies. Uh, they're very zombie like creatures, but I guess they're vampires. I'm not really sure. They're like half and half. Uh, I think they're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And they must save the all of mankind from the evil vampires from space. Uh, 
you know, like I said, this film's absolutely boring. And it should be an amazing movie considering the, like, scope of things. It's like an epic, dude. There's so many grand, amazing effects and locations and it feels so goddamn big and you don't care about it at all. Like, you don't care about the characters. There's not one person that you're interested in. They're all dull and boring. Uh, you know, the effects are the saving grace of this long-ass two-hour movie, The Effects and The Naked Girl, because without it, you got nothing. You got nothing but a two-hour long movie. And I said it before, and I'll say it again, the first 90 minutes are free. You get those, you get those for free. Any additional minute after that, you have to make me invested. You have, those, those cost something. Those, those, you don't get anything else besides 90 that's free you have to if you if your film's over 90 minutes it better be good (laughs) Mm -hmm. um because there's no excuse there's no excuse and this one is way fucking too long and this is the scream factory edition which is the director's cut um it's like i said about two hours long two hours and some change uh i don't really have much to say about it great effects like there's some good, good, good effects in this film, both both visual, uh, like in camera stuff, and actual like you know practical effects. Uh, the, it, there's some cool, uh, like body sucked up looking shit going on. There's some cool like there's a scene where they like some people grab onto the helicopter and like their hand their like flesh rips off of their hands. Like there's some gory good stuff in here, but the movie is goddamn boring as hell. <laughs> and you know that brings me to the Blu-ray. I actually watched this film four times. Four times for the for this uh, review. You, the first time <laughs> was just watching the movie by itself. Uh, you know, that was a little painful. Uh, then I watched it with the commentary with director Toby Hooper. Uh, pretty solid, actually. It was moderated by uh, Tim Sullivan, and uh, it kind of made the movie a little bit more enjoyable because Hooper kind of talked about, you know, the thought process of everything. And... Hooper is hit and miss with commentary. Sometimes he's entertaining, sometimes he's not. Uh, this one, I would say, was kind of in the middle ground. Uh, it, it was a decent commentary, but really, I mean, because you don't care about the film that much, you really don't care about the commentary that much either. The second commentary I thought was really a bit more interesting, and this one uh, is the second feature-length commentary, so this was the third time I watched it. Uh, that commentary is with makeup effects designer nick malay and this guy uh is being moderated by michael felcher who i believe is like one of the main guys at scream factory i'm not sure uh this one was a lot interesting because it talked about his career um he you know is best known for his work in the star wars films where he created yoda uh that's kind of crazy um so he kind of talks about his career, reflects on things, reflects on this film, and he really does feel like the effects that he pulled off in Life Force are his best work besides, you know, Yoda, and that's simply because of, like, how big of a thing that was. Um, but I thought that was interesting because, yeah, these effects are amazing. There's some great stuff in here. Uh, it's just too bad that the movie, like, does not work well. Um, so that was a decent commentary. And then the fourth time I watched it, they actually have the Life Force theatrical release on the disc too, which runs, uh, I believe, 20, 20 or 30 minutes shorter. And I'll be honest, I enjoyed it the most that I ever would enjoy it in the theatrical version. Maybe it was because it was shorter and it flowed a little bit better. Um, 
I'm not exactly sure what was missing because after four watches, everything just kind of ran together. Um, but I would say if you're going to watch Life Force, watch the theatrical version. It's a little mm-hmm. bit better. It's still not a very good movie. And it has many positives, but it's the overall story and boringness of the film that hurts it the most. Then you actually have an interview with uh, uh, Mathilda May, who played the uh, naked girl. And she, that was an interesting interview. It runs about 15 minutes because she talks about like how she kind of regretted doing it a little bit. And, you know, she was naked the entire film pretty much. <clears throat> she kind of attributes it to like her looking young and feeling, you know, good about herself. But at the same time, um, there would be very difficult moments uh, to do that. <clears throat> because, like I said, it's a long period of time that she's doing that in the film. And she would be in it and then she'd be out of it and then she would feel terrible and then she'd feel okay <clears throat> so that was an interesting interview of course then you have an interview with toby hooper he kind of talks about the various elements of the film including the novel uh, that which it was based on uh, that was an interesting interview only runs 10 minutes much more interesting than most of the film uh and then of course you have a uh interview with steven railsback uh, who was a star in the movie. That runs about seven minutes. That one's a decent interview, too. Then you have a 21-minute featurette. This is kind of uh, a time capsule of uh, you know footage from the film at the time that it was <clears throat> being filmed, like behind-the-scenes stuff, stuff like that. That was actually pretty decent as well. You get to see a lot of the effects and, and things like that. Um, that. That one was about 21 minutes. Then you just have the typical theatrical trailer, TV spot, still gallery. Overall, my rating for Life Force... I'm going to give it a six. And even though I feel like it's an extremely boring movie and it's not uh, very good to me, I can't deny the, the epicness of it. And I know that there's people that, that maybe um, like these sci-fi space epics a little bit more. And I can't deny the quality of work that was done in everything besides the fucking storytelling and the pacing uh because that is all there i mean it, it's all there but the there's just major problems with the storyline and the character development stuff like that but i have to give those effects credit and just the the scope of everything that's it was b- very good in terms of that stuff um so that is my closer look at life force uh man dude good features Solid features, you know, that inclusion of the theatrical, tra- theatrical version was very nice. Um, maybe if I'd watched that one first, I would have maybe enjoyed it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's a good release in terms of features, but um, one of the weaker films in, in that initial uh, first, you know, 20, 25 releases from Screaming Factory. Yeah. What was the rating on the, that again? I gave it a 6 out of 10. Okay. Cool. Alrighty, so we're going to move along into the third and final drawing from the contest. JP, who are our winners? Alright, these are the final three winners here, guys. And I have the uh, Country Crock Butter container here once again, opening it up. And I'm going to pull the last three names. These ones will win prizes for me, so be sure to send me your address. The first winner of the three is Rob from Georgia. I believe Rob right? from Georgia. I think it, I think it was Rob from Georgia. So Rob from Georgia, man, send me your address. Cool. Uh, the next winner is Andre Little Rocket Cutie, two thousand five. Oh, there you go. 
<clears throat> and the third and final winner is Jesus. Jesus, the artist? I believe so. I believe so. Whoa. Escobar or something like that? Yeah, I think he's the one that drew the uh, the 22 shots picture. <laughs> well, awesome, dude. Awesome. I love that. Well, congrats that, that to all awesome. the winners out there. So, yeah. That concludes the uh, the drawings for the contest. Awesome. Once again, congrats to all the winners out there, and your packages will be on their way soon enough. Hey guys, JP here, just checking in once again before we get into our top 10 horror films of 1968. I just thought I'd give you guys a heads up that Jeremy will be participating via audio clips that he has sent me. Unfortunately, he will not be participating in the entire top 10 list because he was unable to watch enough films to create a top 10 list. Uh, from 1968 so he will only be participating in the final five so his list will be a top five uh unfortunately he just did not watch enough films to uh participate in the full episode so uh he will just be in the top five uh but i'll check in with you guys a little bit later Alrighty, so moving along into the moment we've all been waiting for um yeah the main feature I guess I can't say review because uh, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the top 10 films of 1968. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We did explain why we chose 1968. So um, without further ado, it kind of speaks for itself. JP, you want to start? I will start. And before I start, I just want to mention that we're going to try to not be so long-winded on these. A couple of these films I had watched a while back in preparation. So they're a little fuzzy in my memory. Um, so yeah, coming in at number 10 for me, uh, the first film on the list is The Devil Rides Out from 1968. This is a film I did watch twice because I felt like the first time I didn't give it the most fair shake because I totally seen some interesting things in there and it was it felt like a film that I should love. Uh, overall, I I still don't love it. But I feel like I'm the only person on the internet who doesn't because this film got a lot of great reviews. Uh, I'm not sure if you've seen this one, Moods, but it kind of follows this uh, these friends who find out that their other friend is involved in satanic rituals. Uh, they go in to try to rescue him and then the you know, fucking religious black magic users like conjure up like some <clears throat> devil shit and it's forces of good and evil basically. Uh, it is an original awesome film for 1968 uh, starring Christopher Lee, of course. I feel like the the main problem for me is that it's kind of convoluted and I'm, I feel like I didn't really fully grasp. Like It seemed like it could have been just slightly a little bit more simple. And mm-hmm. uh, I feel like it's a little too ambitious. And I do really enjoy like the cult stuff because it's – for the time, 1968, I really haven't seen like like devil worshiping on screen the like it, as much as it was like the, the, it is straight up devil worshiping devil like you know conjuring up fucking the a goat and shit. It's it's pretty crazy. It's actually surprised me of what they was able to show. Um, but I just feel like there was just a little bit wrong with it. Uh, I feel like I do need to give it another shot. I rented this one twice. I'm don't know if it's available on DVD, but I would be curious to pick it up. It's definitely a good movie. Um, it's just a little convoluted, and I give it a 6.5 out of 10. 
Yeah, I think it is available on DVD. I actually have never seen this one. I had it on a list to see, and I just never got around to. Yeah, I think you it simply. really like so. this one. It's a little slow for me. Mm. I don't know. I, I, maybe I watched it at the wrong time both times. I orig- originally rated it a little bit lower. I did bring the rating up because I do feel like, it, by all accounts, on the surface, it looks like a good movie. It should be a good movie. But for some reason, it didn't gel with me as much as it does gel with the rest of the internet because it seems like this is a very loved film i mean my rating is actually lower than the overall on imdb which is a 7.1 wow that's interesting eh? (laughs) yeah so uh there you go man what's yours cool all right so coming in at number 10 is the original release of it was 1967 but it was released in the u.s in 1968 and that's when we would have seen it um and that is king kong escapes (laughs) Uh, I actually had this one on DVD and never got to it. Oh, really? Yeah, this one's directed by Ishiro Honda, of course, who directed the original Godzilla film, too. Um, So, you know, I hadn't seen this movie in so long, I really didn't even remember it. And I I popped it in a little while ago and watched it and just loved it. It's it's so much fun. It's a silly movie, you know, because it's like, you know, King Kong versus like a like a robotic King Kong, basically it's this evil ruler kind of brings in this, uh, brings in King or brings in King Kong when his fucking Mecha Kong or whatever can't do the job that he wants them to do. Right. And of course all things go batshit crazy and then they end up fighting and stuff. It's, it's really silly, but, uh, it's so much fun. I mean, if you like, the films or any of those type of things you'll love this film. There's not really a whole lot to say about it. It's just a fun time. <laughs> I mean, it's Ishiro Honda, man. You know what you're going to get? <laughs> fucking miniatures and just odd camera shots and just stupid things. <laughs> Some that are of those are weird, man. I know. That it just looks – the fight scenes are actually pretty funny though. They're pretty well done and it's just it's just a lot of fun. I can't recommend it enough, you know. So, I mean, it's not a great film or anything, but it's fun. I give it a 7 out of 10. So. 7 out of 10. All right. Yeah. Uh, so coming in at my number 9 is a film that I don't think Moods has seen. Uh, this film is available on the Criterion Collection. I was able to check it out via Hulu because they actually have the, I believe, entire Criterion Collection library up on Hulu or at least uh, a good majority of it. Uh, and that is Kuranoku? Do you know how to say this film, Moods? Kuranoku? Uh, I don't know. Kuranoku. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure how to say the title, but... It follows uh, two women who were raped and killed by a group of samurai soldiers. They kind of reappear or kind of like reincarnate into some vengeful ghosts who uh, seduce and murder all of the samurai. Like th- that's kind of their goal is to kill all the samurai in the world because they, you know, destroyed them. Things get a little bit crazy when one of the you know the white the two women uh her one of the woman's son and the other woman's husband um so it was you know a mother-in-law type thing uh he returns from three years uh being a samurai soldier and you know in war basically mm-hmm. now his job is to rid whatever's killing the sam samurais so essentially he has to figure out that, you know, kill these, uh, two women, um, that are ghosts. So it's kind of weird. It's, it's kind of a weird story. Like 
Japanese films sometimes are, especially from this early era. Um, but it's very good. I mean, I feel like the atmosphere and the cinematography, the locations, like the way that it was filmed was, was really cool. The story is a bit shaky for me. I feel like this is a film where you need to watch it a couple times to really pull in all that it has to offer. Um, I did very much enjoy it. Uh, I just, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to connect with like these wonky sort of plots like that. Cause I, it, it's not, it doesn't really explain it like all that great, like to you right away. Um, so you kind of have to piece this stuff together and it, the rules are kind of not explained well. Cause you know, you don't want like ghosts who can like seduce and like kill people. And they're like, kind of like cats and shit. They're like kind of mm-hmm. like cat creature. It's fucking kind of weird, but, um, very good. I, I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. Like I said, it's definitely a film that I feel like I need to watch again to fully enjoy it. So I, I do want to pick up the, uh, actual criterion release when I can. I think it might be on Blu-ray actually. It is on Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Yeah. So DVD I too. think it would look amazing. This is a black and white film. Uh, it, I like it, it looks good. Like just on streaming on Hulu, like it looks good. I, I imagine it would look great in Blu-ray overall. Uh, I came in at a 6.5 on that one out of 10. Uh, solid movie. Definitely want to check it out again. Cool. All right. Coming in at number nine for myself is the, of course, 1968 film Dracula is Risen from the Grave. Uh, of course, starring Christopher Lee as Dracula. Um, this is one I actually haven't watched in a long time. Um, but uh, it's basically, I'll just read the storyline quickly. It's like got like too little. Two little liner on here. When, when his castle is exercised, Dracula plots his revenge against the, the monaster, uh, who performed the rites by attempting to make the holy man's young niece his bride. Um, I really, I like this film. Um, actually, when I first watched this film years ago, I wasn't really the hugest fan of it. I thought it was kind of, it kind of dragged at points and I was kind of being, you know, the whole subplot, like the, the love story subplot that goes on it and stuff. I was just like, eh, you know, I was kind of in and out of the feel of it, but, uh, or that storyline. But overall, though, it's got a really good gothic y feel to it. And Christopher Lee is always great as Dracula. Um, this is a film that grew on me over time, uh, big time, actually. Um, like I said, I wasn't like the hugest fan of it, but, you know, it's a good film, though. Um, have, did you see this one, Jeremy? Or <laughs> JP? <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you actually remember correctly, I reviewed it on the podcast a few That's weeks right. ago. That's well, right. Well, it'd be, it'd be a few months ago now. Yeah, I, I remember now. I remember. Um, but yeah, you know, I just, I think what really sells this film for me is Christopher Lee's performance, though. He's a really good Dracula. Yeah, I think that's what's really good. I, I do like the feel and the atmosphere of this film. And I think it's, you know, I think when I first watched it, I thought maybe the the look of it was kind of cheesy at times, like, you know, in the grave and, you know, things like that. But uh, um, I don't know. Th- this one is is definitely a lot better than I remember it. But, you know, it's, it's definitely one of the later Hammer films. And, uh, you know, I think it's a good one. You know, I, I don't think it's that crazy great or anything. But like I said, the subplot and it kind of like kind of takes me out of it and stuff i don't really remember what you said about it uh like what were your thoughts on it oh i i definitely really much enjoyed it because uh i felt like i felt like there was some interesting stuff there for example like uh when uh dracula would be on screen they kind of use like this filter like the forget if it's like a greenish filter or like a greenish red filter um and it kind of had this like evil demanding presence it, g- it gave off that yeah. and I, I like stuff like that so i thought that was pretty cool another thing i, I really like the location of it um mm-hmm. just sort of that 
I don't know what era it is. I'm really bad with eras and stuff, but like I like yeah, how yeah. the houses were. They were like on the rooftops and stuff. Like I I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a fun film. It really is, you know. Um, and I'm gonna give this one a solid seven out of ten. Also, so Dracula's risen from the grave. Christopher Lee, he's so badass as Dracula, man. <laughs> he really is. Right, his so, eyes, right? His eyes in the film. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. All right, so coming in at number eight, I believe, for me, is a film, obviously, from 1968. It is titled Targets. Uh, this film follows an elderly horror film star, oddly enough, uh, while making a personal appearance at a drive-in theater, confronts a psychotic Vietnam war veteran who's turned into a mass murdering sniper uh honestly this film should maybe be higher on my list because it is a really good movie uh i i i feel like some of the like shots where you're like seeing it through the sniper scope is just so uncomfortable because you're like it's kind of this weird perspective where the people are just driving down the highway. They don't really – they have no idea that their life is about to end within a second. You know, it, There's something uncomfortable about that. It's a voyeuristic just level of, of just death. It's right there. It's like one split second and you're dead and, and you had no idea, no idea at all that it was coming. Um, and that, that alone, that idea, like this sniper like picking off people is – super interesting to me and i love that about the movie have you seen this one <laughs> you know what i never i've never seen this one it was on the list to watch too and i just i couldn't get a copy of it so yeah never seen uh, it. of course uh boris karloff is in it yeah of course yeah yeah he and plays he, and he, the old he, mo- horror movie star <laughs> so he kind of he kind of plays himself yeah really. and uh there's a really cool scene at the end of the film with a drive-in and stuff um you know, this is one that I, I really kind of wish I would have had a chance to revisit because I watched it early in preparation for this list. Um, and it's a little fuzzy in my memory, but I just remember those intense scenes where you're kind of um, like through the eyes of the killer as he is, you know, on a fucking water tower, you know, staring at cars driving back past, just picking people off. And then he just gathers his shit up, shit up and like runs away, you know, gets away, scot-free. And mm-hmm. it kind of is like, wow, that feels like that can happen at any time, you know, um, especially with technology being so uh, primitive back in, you know, 1968. Uh, so yeah, targets. I give that one about a seven out of 10. Cool. Yeah, that one, I, I hope gets re- like a Blu-ray release or something like that. It seems like yeah. one of those films that could be cool. Um, yeah, moving along here. Uh, my number eight is a film that's starring Peter Cushing, released by Grindhouse, actually, last year, I believe. And it's called Corruption. Uh, did you get a chance to see this one? I didn't. I've never, I didn't even see this one on the list. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, released by Grindhouse. So they did a really good job with it. Um, basically, uh, Peter Cushing is a uh, surgeon um, that uh, has a girlfriend who gets her face all fucked up. She gets all scarred and shit like that. And he, he figures out a way of kind of regenerating her skin in the film um, by murdering other women and extracting their uh, their fluids from their pituitary gland. Right. But the problem is, so he injects their fluids into her and it kind of regenerates her face and it's all good. However, like it says on here, uh, the effects of the, 
those fluids only last a little, like a little bit. So she starts to, you know, digress in her progression, right? Um, so she starts to look all shitty again and stuff. So basically, ultimately, it leads him to start killing more and more women. And it's kind of a story like that, right? It's just his love for this, this, you know, his girlfriend and stuff. And he's just gone off the fucking deep end and he goes on a murdering spree. And, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a really fun flick, man, to be honest. And it's quite different for Peter Cushing to be playing this type of role too. Um, it's very sadistic, very sadistic, very simple kind of premise to it. But, uh, I love the ending in this film, man. The ending is fantastic. It really is what sells the film, in my opinion. Um, you know, the effects in the film aren't like overly the greatest, but they're kind of cool for the time, you know, you know how you kind of get that, uh, you know, almost like that kind of rippled, you know, kind of scar effect, you know, from those older films. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, like, you know, that kind of look and it just kind of looks old school, but I really, I like that look to it and stuff. So, um, but yeah, Peter Cushing's fantastic in this film. There's some pretty, pretty interesting kills in this. It's not as gory and bloody as I thought, but there is some pretty shocking moments in this one, surprisingly. Like I said, for Peter, like a Peter Cushing film. Um, it's definitely one of the more, kind of hardcore ones that he's been in, in my opinion, anyways. Um, but overall, fantastic. It's got a great ending and stuff. Uh, actually, the ending's awesome. Uh, but, uh, you know, it definitely has its moments. I think it drags a little bit at times, um, which is kind of a shame. But, you know, overall, it's still a really fun watch. And I give it about a 7 out of 10. Also, what's with my 7s? <laughs> yeah. So, but no, it's definitely worth the pickup though. Like I said, Grindhouse Releasing's released it and it's got a fantastic transfer on it. Like it looks like amazing. So definitely check it out. Yeah, I'm surprised that one didn't come up in my research because I really tried to get like all of the more popular known ones watched and uh, I don't know. I, it doesn't ring a bell. It, it might be on there and I missed it. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so cool. coming in at number seven for me is one that Moods has mentioned, and that is Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. Of course, for Oh, number seven for you, and I had it number nine for me. Yeah, I really liked it, man. I remember yeah. in my review, uh, you can listen back to it. It's you know It'll be on the uh, ratings page somewhere. Yeah, as soon as you said that, I, I remembered. I was like, oh, yeah, you totally talked about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I just love the style of it, and it, it was something new for me because – I'm very unfamiliar with the Hammer era, all of those films, mm-hmm. uh, all of those Draculas and Frankensteins and stuff. So this was the first one that I think that I've seen. I might have seen one other one, uh, like the Satanic Rites of Dracula or something like that. Mm-hmm. But this one, I wasn't really expecting much. I went into it and I was like, wow, this is this is a pretty solid little tale. I actually found it a little bit slow like you, but I found it kind of atmospheric and I thought the camera work was really good as well. And that kind of kept me engaged. Um, I like the characters. Uh, I, I like when they, the one dude goes in and he's like playing that game where he's spinning the broom around. Like it felt really like European to me. Like I could never see someone doing that in the U S or something. Um, but so that was interesting to see, uh, you know, the, the, the girls like wearing they they wore like low cut tops, which was kind of interesting as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I overall, I, I mean, the, the the scene where he goes into the niece's um, family, the uncle who I believe is like a priest or something, they have like different views. Like I found all that interesting. Um, like I said, uh, Christopher Lee, that pre- or uh, yeah, that presence. Jeez, uh, man, like very, very, very like just demanding i i i i'd never really 
kind of witnessed like th- that form of Dracula before. So that was definitely really cool for me. You know, I'm not going to talk about it too much as we just kind of commented on it, but uh, seven yep. and a half out of ten for me on that one. Seven and a half out of ten. Cool. <clears throat> All right, so coming in at number seven for myself is a uh, film starring uh, Vincent Price, and it is called Witchfinder General. Um, this one, I remember watching it years ago, too, and actually being kind of bored by it, to be honest. Like, it's more, it, it's like a period piece in a way, right? It's, you know, in that in that era of... It's like you know, 1700s. Yeah, uh, it's totally, it's a period piece, so like, 17th you know, if you're not... Century. 1600s. Yeah, if you're, yeah, if you're not in the mood for it, you know, you're going to get like all those old school costumes and horse riding. It's, you know, the period where they were killing witches. And that's basically what it is. Vincent Price plays a character uh, named Matthew Hopkins. And he's just going from town to town, <clears throat> basically doing his duty, doing God's work. And he's taking out witches left and right. Um, it's pretty much the short and long of the, of the film right there. Um, but, you know, you know, it's one of, like a... You know, Vincent Price is such a fucking dick in this film. <laughs> I swear to God, this is probably the most dickish role he's ever played. Like, you hate his character so much because he's taking, like, bribes and shit and, and doing, like, really bad things with sexual favor, favors and shit like that. And, you know, he's doing really bad shit and, you know, he gets into a little bit of trouble. And, yeah, um, I really enjoy it now, though. Because I think this type of role for Vincent Price works. You know, it's it's kind of cool to see him play, you know, this really kind of bad guy role. And I don't know. I, I really enjoy it, though. It's a good one. Um, but like I said, you know, I think the sets used in this are fantastic. I think the filming and the atmosphere in this film is fantastic, too. Uh, it's one thing about these period pieces that never ceases to amaze me sometimes, man, is like, you know, how the costumes are so amazing. You ever notice? I know you're not the biggest period piece fan, but no, like, I am. I love period pieces. Jeremy's oh, okay. not the biggest. Oh, that, that's right. Jeremy, Jeremy's not a big fan I of them. But yeah, the, you, have you seen this film, Witchfinder General? Yeah. Okay, so the costumes are so fantastic in this, but I think what sells it for me, man, that Vince, Vincent Price in this film is just—he's <laughs> such a fucking dick. Um, I'll probably just cut it off there because I have a feeling that GP has it later on his list, and we'll end up talking about it more. So, <laughs> um. But yeah, no, it's like I said, it's another one that grew on me over time. Like, I, you know, I wasn't from the grave. Exactly. When I I remember when I first watched it, I didn't really care for it. I thought it was actually kind of boring. Uh, But there's a lot more things going on in the film and stuff like that. But, you know, it's a really solid watch. And uh, I give it about a seven out of ten again, you know, so. Awesome. Awesome. So coming in at number six, this might surprise some some people, including moods, but it is uh spider baby or the maddest story ever told of course this does have a 1967 release date but it was like right there like it it had a limited limited release like um like the last month of 1967 so we included it because everybody kind of considers it it's real release in 1968 uh of course uh directed by jack hill uh starring Lon Chaney Jr., as well as a very young Sid Haig. Uh, we did an entire review on this film, so I'm not going to get into it too much. But it is a weird one, and I feel like it definitely influenced uh, Rob Zombie. You know, we mentioned that before, but I, I really feel like it did. It kind of really feels like House of a Thousand Corpses to me, but like a more tame, earlier version of it. Uh, yeah, um, 
you know, I, I, I don't know if I should really go into it because we really did do like an entire review on it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, go back and check it out. I, I don't remember what episode it was, but uh, I don't know. You probably know off the top of your head. Yeah, uh, but it I is. Don't. It's it's an interesting thing. I don't even want to say certain words. I might just kind of give it away and stuff. But it's an intriguing watch. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very a diff- surprising. It's, a different it's like a like you're kind of just surprised at some of the things that you're seeing and stuff like that. Um, I, 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 I don't know why people, I, cause I've heard people say that this one just didn't do it for them, but it's such an interesting movie for an early period film. I, I thought it was a, you know, great watch. It's an interesting story that, that is very like unconventional. Like the story is completely out there and weird. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Uh, my rating on, uh, spider baby has not changed. It's still a 7.5 out of 10. Cool, cool. All right, so the first film on my list that was shot in black and white, actually. Um, Which is interesting because we didn't mention that. This is a perfect, like, weird era where it's like there's a mixture of black and whites and color, like, all throughout this this year. I know. It is strange, actually. So coming in number six is uh, a film by Gene Rowland. It's actually his first film that he did, and it's called Rape of the Vampire. Which we mentioned uh, earlier. Which we did mention earlier in the uh, the Rue Morgue um, Weird Stats and Morbid Facts, which was so fucking strange. Yeah, <laughs> that actually it was strange. Uh, but yeah, it's a Rape of the Vampire. Um, Gene Rowland's black and white effort. Um, this is the only film that he ever did in black and white, actually. It's kind of strange that he did it in black. I don't know why, but, um, but anyways, this one has a really complicated type, um, surreal type plot to it. It's really, really fucking strange. It's definitely one of those films that you have to see for yourself to kind of figure out. You can't, it's really hard to explain to somebody. Uh, but kind of the short and long of it is, um, basically the film starts out with, uh, I think it's like a psycho, I think psychoanalyst, um, is trying to convince these girls that they, um, that they're not vampires, Right. Cause these girls are sitting there and, and they're totally can, they, they totally believe that they're vampires and stuff. So, you know, they're trying to, this psychoanalyst is trying to tell them that they're not vampires. That it's all in your head and shit like that. And they truly believe that they are, you know, sucking blood and stuff like that. <laughs> and then there's like a whole second half of the movie and it, it kind of switches from that. And then there's like, um, yeah so it says in a second the queen of the vampire and her acolytes arrive at the scene where this is all going on and stuff resurrect the dead and promulate whatever the cause of the undead while the medical researcher finds to find an antidote to vampirism so this movie right here is shot in black and white it's very very surreal it's there's not a lot of dialogue in it and it's kind of like slow pace but it's so visual and surreal when you watch it so you kind of almost lose a little bit of the story when you're watching it because it's so visual. You kind of, you know, you kind of get sucked in by what you're seeing because if you're familiar with any Gene Roland films, a lot of his earlier films were all shot in the same location. So you actually start to recognize the same location stuff. But the beauty is, is that they're amazing. The locations are fucking awesome, right? So it's got that. But this one right here is, it, like I said, it's very surreal. It's like very kind of dreamlike. And uh, fucking strange, man. This is one of the stranger uh, Gene Roland films out there. And, you know, without giving anything away, it's it's a, it's a really cool film. But I will say it probably will take multiple watches to kind of kind of absorb the whole thing, you know, 
you know what I'm saying? You ever watch a film where you, you kind of like, you're so engulfed in what you're seeing, you kind of forget about the actual story. Yeah. Sometimes. That's uh Kurukino or whatever the hell. Yeah. This one, this is a great example of that right there. Cause the first time I watched this one was when redemption released a couple years ago and I actually had to watch it again. I was like, Holy shit. I think I missed something, but I really didn't. It's kind of like two different type things. It starts out as one and it kind of goes to another part. Um, but you know, like Mojin Roland films are very visual, uh, very captivating, always beautiful girls, lots of nudity, it's shit like that that's going on, right? Um, but very intriguing. It's very intriguing. I definitely recommend it. And not a lot of people talk about that one, his first film, which was, of course, shot in black and white. And I'm going to give it a 7.5 out of 10 because, you know me, I love visual, atmospheric, strange films. So love it. Definitely recommend it. Yeah, that I'm one six. was on my short list to check out. And unfortunately I, I didn't get to it in time. I, I, who, who released it? Did you say? Uh, redemption. Yeah. Uh, see, I, I didn't really, you know, save it up for the car and stuff. That was just one that I just couldn't get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you definitely, I, and I wasn't even sure if it was any good or not. It was just on the list, you know? So now yeah. that you met, now that you, you know, have it on your top 10, it's definitely one that I'm going to seek out. But l- like I said, I, you know, it's one of those films that even after one watch, you might not be too sure about it. Yeah. Which so I've had a couple of those doing this, this venture. I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, coming in, breaking into the top five, um, we have another film that was mentioned already and that is Witchfinder General. Uh, moods was correct it was on my list um yeah. <laughs> i actually just watched this one last night uh the screen factory vincent price collection it has a blu-ray and man you know great collection so far awesome yeah, yeah. I've, I've not watched everything in it uh this one really surprised me because i kind of was i honestly i was going into it not expecting much uh based on the other film that i've seen in there which i believe was the pit and the pendulum um, mm-hmm. I just wasn't really expecting much, but this one is really awesome, dude. This is so cool. It's also known as the Conqueror Worm. Has it yeah. on, on the Blu-ray disc? It actually has an intro from Vincent Price, which is just that guy is just something else, man. Like, I know people say that, but like for not seeing much of his of of like the majority of his work, like he just has this. You just want to listen to him, like anytime oh, no. he speaks. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, you know, it follows uh. Vincent Price, who's a, like, like you said, a, a, like scumbag, like this guy, I, I think he even said himself, this is kind of his most despicable role. Um, at least he considers it. Uh, uh that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it really is though, man. And like I've, Vincent Price is like, you know, pretty much my favorite actor up there with Jeffrey Combs. And I've seen a lot of Vincent Price films and this one definitely, he's a fucking scumbag in this film. Like it's nothing like you ever seen. Like, you know, you're used to Vincent Price, you know, he's. He's the man, yeah. but he's he's so, you fucking hate him in this film, man. So when you first when you first see him, uh, you know, uh, they they basically go from town to town. They're witch hunters. People accuse yeah, yeah. somebody of being a witch, and then they come in and they force them to confess. Essentially, meaning like beat them until they can't do anything else but tell them to stop by confessing. You know, that's the, that's the thing that's so crazy, man. Because you know he he seems like, you know, he's doing God's work and all that type of shit, but they don't even really care. They're just like, yeah, they he don't wants even want to find out the truth. that image. Like he they wants like, that to be his projection. That's the thing that makes him such a scumbag is that he doesn't even care. Like he might even know that you're not a witch, but he doesn't care. They bend the you've rules been, all you've the been fucking accused. time, dude. They, it's, it's, it's really is kind of like <laughs> the real witch hunts though. Right. Yeah, it's, it it's was brutal. all about money and shit like that. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. 
essentially what you do is like you you beat the hell out of somebody and you know i heard this was in a movie but you know you beat somebody long enough and they'll tell you anything you want to hear you know what i mean Uh, and they essentially do that and the first thing that i noticed was when he goes and uh talks to the girl i thought he was gonna be like a good character and then he like receives a sexual favor and i was like wait what yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like so surprised <laughs> like i thought he was like gonna be like the good like witch hunter i thought it was gonna be more about like hunting actual witches but no all of these people are like actual just regular people and they're like you know uh burning them alive and drowning them and fucking hanging them dude it's brutal stuff and i feel like one of my favorite scenes is when they tie their hands up and they're all beaten up and stuff and they're pulling them to their death the way that it was filmed and like the noises and everybody's yelling, like it seems so chaotic and stressful and you kind of put yourself in the position of the accusee and it's just dreadful. It's a dreadful thought, right? I mean, it's being like, you know, sentenced to death and they're so, they're, it's such bullshit too, right? I, I mean, it's all yeah. bullshit because they're like, we need to do it in, you know, the name of the law. Like, what about justice? And it's like, dude, you're like murdering people, <laughs> you know? And it's <laughs> fucked up, dude. And that's, it's, it's, it's so fucked up. Uh, yeah. they, they, it's so pleasurable to like be a part of and see this like disgusting side of, of, and you know, like you said, the, uh, set pieces, the clothing, his oh, hair and shit, dude. Yeah fucking top notch dude no i know it looks so good man this one you can obviously tell the ones that are fresher in my head because i have more things to say about them but i I really much enjoyed witchfinder general uh i i pretty much loved it and i give that one a Mm. 7.5 out of 10 yeah cool yeah i haven't watched it in a little bit i think i watched it when the the vincent price set came out or the volume two came out it was volume one or volume yeah when volume one that's right when volume one so that was a while back yeah when i rewatched it i've seen it before but so it's been a while. <laughs> exactly. So number five, we have a film that I actually watched in one of my classes last semester, which is intriguing that um, that this film was shown because I didn't even know it was from 1968 until I was looking on the list and uh, it popped up. I was like, huh. And uh, it just got released by Criterion like a few years ago. And that is a film called The Living Skeleton, which is a Japanese film. So the class I – we watched this in was World Cinema – Two, which is from like World War Two up, so uh, my professor showed this film um, during the you know the, the lecture on Japanese cinema. This movie's interesting. It's you know it's a it's a film that takes place on the sea, and um, you know it's a ghostly if you want to say that. Um, I think the main positive aspect of this. Um, of this film is the cinematography is is so fucking amazing. It just has such a creepy atmosphere with um you know fog coming off the lake and things like that. It just really really adds to the the mood and the feelings of fear that are in these characters that it takes place on you know on this huge ship and on this boat. You know, not many films up until this time, horror films, you know, I could remember that takes place on, on a ship. Um, you know, there's probably some, and if you guys know any, you probably just let me know. It's, it's cool. It's a cool film. Check it out if you get a chance. You can pick it up on a Criterion box set. The Living Skeleton, 
Uh, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 on that one. It's interesting, and it's really cool. Awesome cinematography. I think that's one of the main reasons to watch that film. Coming in at number 5 for myself here is uh, a film by Igmar, Igmar Bergman, and it is called Hour of the Wolf. Uh, did you get a chance to see this one? I did. Okay. Hour of the Wolf. Wow. Okay. So I've only watched this movie once. This was a first time watch and I watched it a little bit ago. Um, this is a fucking strange movie, man. This is really strange. I think I need to watch it again, to be honest. So it's really kind of confusing here. I'll kind of read the, uh, it's not really confusing, but I think there's more to it than, you know, just a one watch type deal, which is really cool, man. You know, Igmar Bergman does really fantastic films. Uh, and this one also is shot in black and white too. So it says basically the storyline, an artist in crisis is hunt, is hunted, ugh, is haunted by nightmares from the past in Igmar Bergman's only horror film, which takes place in a windy, island during the hour of the wolf between midnight and dawn he tells his wife about his most painful memories um this is a really really surreal type feeling film um you know it's and it's very psychological too actually which i really liked uh there's something very surreal about ingmar bergman's filmmaking the way the film starts out is his wife is talking is telling the story to the camera Right. So you already got that fourth wall thing going on there. And then it gets into it. And, you know, he's obviously having emotional breakdowns and, and shit like that. But then his wife starts having these kind of visions of, you know, he, he's a painter and he starts have, or she starts seeing like his visions through his paintings and stuff. I don't really know how to explain this without talking <laughs> that, man. It's really fucking strange. It's really, really strange, but it's so intriguing. Like I literally watched this movie on the edge of my seat. I'm not joking. Like I didn't even put my back on my couch or anything. I just sat there and watched bent over. Like well, that sounded bad bent over, but you know, <laughs> just, you know, just watching it like that. And I was like, this movie's fucking weird, man. Um, I do want to revisit it. Cause I know there's more going on in it and stuff like that, but it's really, really fucking trippy. And I have to say the end of the film was really bizarre too. It was really, really bizarre. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the stuck, the structure of the film seems like it's almost all over the place too. It's, you can't tell if it's like, you know, a vision or if it's like a flashback or what certain things are going on, but wow, was it ever, it, it was surreal and it was beautiful. It was just amazing. I really enjoyed it, man. And again, you know, those set pieces, man, he somehow managed to make this film look like it was shot in like the 1800s for some reason, but it was clear. It was beautiful. Um, it kind of has that throwback feel, which is fantastic. And the acting was great in it too. Um, but uh, it's one of these fucking films. Like, I don't even know what to say about it. You know, I think I need another watch on it, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. It, it feels kind of almost art housey in a way, you know, I had to explain it, but hour of the wolf, I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. It's probably going to get a little higher for me because with, a, with another watch, I would have loved to have watched it a second time before doing this, but I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Can't really, I don't know what to say about it. Not too many times I get all fucked up when I'm describing a film, but I don't know. I really yeah. enjoyed it. So. All right. So coming in at number four on my list is Igmar Bergman's Hour of the Wolf. So, of course it you know, <laughs> I kind of have a lot of the same things to say that you said. It It's very surreal. It's very weird. It's a film that you definitely need to watch multiple times because 
I can tell that there's massive amounts of shit going on there psychologically. That I there's so many. Up. There's so many psychological undertones in this film. It's like you really need to analyze, sit down, and just kind of pick things apart. And like, there, I know there's more things going on. Yeah, yeah definitely. You know, and what it is, you know, it's the artist who is kind of taking his like nightmarish arts and it's being projected into like physical reality. But it's not telling you that it's doing that. You're fucking weirded out and confused at what's going on because nobody mentions it. It Like it's not part of the story. It's just – it's like here it is. (laughs) That's the thing and you can't tell if you know if she's having these visions or if it's like you know a flashback or if there's certain things that are so kind of unexplained which kind of adds to the feel of it. It's projector and plugged it into somebody's brain and then whatever was coming out of the projection – was coming into reality well it's like because he's painting these these kind of haunting visions and stuff and i think basically what was going on is for some fucking weird reason she was seeing those nightmares in like her reality but it might not be her reality you know what i'm saying yeah like she's having these things like it kind of cuts to a scene where she's talking to this old lady and stuff and you're like okay i think this was actually something that he painted and this was being projected onto her somehow Man, if anyone's seen Hour of the Wolf, <laughs> yeah, you know, definitely leave your feedback on it because I think there's a lot of different. I think there could be a, like a really cool discussion yeah. about this film. But I like um, the, the meaning of Hour of the Wolf, though. Yeah. You know, the time where the most people die and the most babies are born. Yeah, and I was actually going to mention that I, I thought that that was a fantastic little scene where they kind of because. Like going into this, I thought it was going to be about werewolves, <laughs> like just based oh, on really? the title. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like wondering where the hour of the wolf was going to fit in. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, that is a, that's like poetic, dude. Like mm-hmm. that is some high class writing right there. And, you know, the tagline itself is uh, the hour of the wolf is the hour between night and dawn is the hour when most people die. It is the hour when the sleepless are haunted by their deepest fear when ghosts and demons are most powerful. Like that is some deep shit. I love that dude. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, there was like, there's some scenes towards the end that are just, just creepy dude. Just like, you don't know why you don't know what's going on. You're just kind of like, you're just sucked into it. And you're just kind of like dude, waiting the for it all to film? be like resolved. And you're just like, what's, what's happening dude isn't the dinner scene like oddly unsettling yeah there's a lot of like it's so weird you're trying to like figure out what the hell is going on and why these conversations are happening and you're like i felt awkward i i felt like i was being scared by it it was really weird i just i was like i don't fucking this is so weird (laughs) but you know actually there's one part in this film that kind of really kind of got me thinking a little bit it's when you know the wife is talking to that I'm assuming the projected image of one of his haunted drawings, uh, the old lady. And um, she tells her to go and grab the satchel that housed a bunch of paintings and stuff or pictures. And she told her not to uh, allow him to rip them up. And I thought there, I thought there was a lot more to that right there. There's so many undertones to that and you can explore that a lot more. Right. Yeah. Because it says a a lot. It's like, okay, you can't let these pictures be destroyed because it'll destroy me. And it almost, it almost like was, you know, maybe she was like, you know, she was death. She was haunting. She was exactly what's going on with him. Right. And by telling his wife not to ruin these pictures is saying, you know, if you ruin these pictures, you're going to, you know, destroy me too. 
that's how yeah. I kind of took that. And it was like, wow, this movie's really powerful. There's a lot yeah. of things going on. This here. is a, this is like a film class film where you need a bunch of people who are really into film to watch it and sit in a room and discuss. Like, this is, this is what I thought. This is what I thought. Well, oh, that's interesting. I didn't think that, but now that you mentioned that, I, it made me think of this. Like, you know what I mean? There's, there's so much to discuss here. I think I'm on the same page as you where, uh, these are both first time watches for us and, you just know that it's really heavy and it's something you need to see multiple times. Exactly. Exactly. So what did you rate that one? Oh, I give that one the same as you eight out of 10. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I, I believe that, uh, I mean, could you see yourself going up on that one? Oh yeah. If, with a multiple if, watch? if something if, like just wa- I, watching it and you know, just a, uh, Two wires connecting, light bulb lighting up, like, oh, and it could instantly, dramatically change my rating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, number four, I had to give it to Spider Baby. I know we talked about this one on the show, and, um, you know, Jack Hill, according to what I've been looking at, um, directed quite a few films in 1968. And uh, Spider Baby, you know, it's, it was a you know, you probably already hear my opinions that we talked about on the last on the last show, um, or whenever we did Spider Baby as the main review. You know, I've never I didn't even really hear about this movie to be completely honest when we talked about it on the show. And I was really surprised with it. It has a really you know, a really weird atmosphere with this family and uh I think at the time it's pretty much a highly controversial film in my opinion. You know, I know it was a driving movie it's obviously, you know, you could obviously see that. And, you know, the people who were going to the drive-in, you know, were probably expecting this type of movie. But it was, I think for the time, is highly, um, highly ahead of its time. And as we get up later on the list, I think we see more movies like that. But I just think it's a really, you know, not talked about movie very often outside of the horror community, which is kind of a shame because it's a really strange film with some really weird characters and, a crazy ass family before crazy families were a thing in horror films. So, you know, I had to, I had to give spider baby, you know, credit for that. So that's why I put it at number four on this list. I'm going to stay with my, re- my rating. I want to give it on the past episode. I'm going to give it a seven and a half out of 10. Okay. So coming in at number four for me, uh, I got a film directed by Roy Bolting or Balting or something like that. And it is called Twisted Nerve. This is uh, very, very interesting. Right from the opening credits, you're like, I recognize that. If you've seen a film called Kill Bill, there's a little bit of a score in it uh, with the whistle. The whistle. We'll call it everyone probably. Herman, I believe. Yeah. Uh, But this is where that comes from. It comes from this film. Yeah. Which is. Twisted Nerve you know tarantino is just no that he's stolen so much stuff that people just kind of forget that it was in something else and then he'll be like wait a minute (laughs) you know what i mean exactly he gets credit for it too like it's it's like people like respect that he does stuff like that and you know it's interesting that he does you know borrow a lot because it makes his movies fucking great Mm -hmm. um so the uh, the story of uh, Twisted Nerve is it follows your main character, Martin um, slash Georgie. <laughs> um, this one right here is also another kind of like, you know, has a psychological type element to it also. Um, but anyways, um, Georgie or Martin, you know, to his mom 
is a very normal type person. Uh, but he's got a really twisted um, personality. <laughs> he's got a really twisted nerve. Yeah. <laughs> so Martin is potentially, you know, got two personalities. Anyways, he has another personality called, they call himself Georgie. Anyways, one day he's out and he meets this girl. Um, shit, I can't remember what the fucking name was. Uh, she works at the library. Yeah, I think it was, her name is Susan in the film. He meets this girl at the library and he becomes like obsessed with her. You know, he just like instantly needs completely to have her kind of infatuated. Deal. Oh yeah, compulsive. completely infatuated. And of course he's in his Georgie, um, you know, personality. And Georgie basically is a child. He's like a man child. You know, he's looks like a man, but he's like six years old. And that's yeah, to everybody talks. else. He seems, you know, slightly retarded, slightly retarded, but he, you know, he, he's just slow. He's different. You know, I think they even use the word retarded in the film. Oh, actually, yeah, once. they did. It's kind of funny. Times, I think. But anyways, he conjures up this amazing plan where he tells his, his mom and his stepfather that he's, uh, you know, that he is going to go on a trip and, you know, they front him, they basically give him the money and stuff like that. He goes to this hotel, he strikes his deal with the, the concierge guy or whatever to play his dad. Anyways, he shows up at the Susan's house with bags in hand, right? And he actually makes his way into their lives. They bring him in. He basically says that, uh, you know, his parents are on a trip and he needs a place to stay. And, you know, so that's how he gets in this house. And he just becomes obsessed with this girl. And, um, well, I'll just leave the story right there. I, I don't really want to go any further. But anyways, short and long, he starts staying at this house and some crazy shit starts going down. Um, yeah, psychological, you know, drama, thriller. This one is a f- really, really fantastic film. Um, you know, you can't, man, what's his name? High Will Bennett, the guy that plays Martin slash Georgie in this. Holy shit, man. He does such a great job from personalities. The personality switches in this are just fantastic. One minute, he's Martin. The next minute, he's Georgie. And you see it throughout the film, too. It's so fantastic, man. He just, he's not even really trying to hide it at points. He's just like, he just switches up. And, um, but I think the, uh, the filmmaking, the way they edited this film was really cool because it does, you know, from scene to scene, you see Martin change so quickly. Do you notice that when you watch this film? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I love that about that, man. It was just like one minute he's Martin, next minute he's Georgie. It's fantastic. Great performances. Um, but and just kind of comes comes around to like a batshit crazy ending. Uh, you know, I mean, in a way, a little predictable, I guess, at times. But you know, it's still very intriguing. It's kind of intense, and you really want to see what happens in the end of this film. It's fantastic. Well, I but think just, one of the reasons it's predictable is because we've seen this type of story like redone a lot with stuff like the stepfather, where some bad person infiltrates your home and pretends to be somebody they're not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, I guess for the time in 1968, it probably wasn't, you know, that overdone, I'm assuming. So it was probably pretty fresh. But but yeah, this film is uh, it's just driven by great performances, great music. You know, it is intense. Um, you know, like I said, the acting is fantastic by everybody. And there's some really weird fucking undertones and shit that's going on in this film. I'm not going to say what they are. Uh, they're kind of, they add to it and it's just strange. It's strange. I know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, there's a couple things that happen in this film. We're just like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, overall really, really enjoyed the shit out of this film. I loved it. And just hearing that whistle score and, ah, oh, it was fantastic, but it does have a little bit of, you know, I found there is the odd kind of problem in it because 
there's a couple of certain things that, you know, the character of Georgie does in the film that's just certain things that he leaves around. And I don't really think you would generally do that if you were trying to, you know, be figured out, you know, I don't know. There was a couple certain things, but overall really fantastic, enjoyable watch. I couldn't recommend it enough. And I give twisted nerve a solid nine out of 10. Really loved it. All right. Coming in to the top three, my number three is Twisted Nerve. Uh, <laughs> so once again, this happens again. Uh, yeah, man, everything you say, spot on. I do agree that there's like there's kind of one main story scene. point scene that kind of like does annoy you a bit. That it's like, yeah, it kind of you, your character is supposed to be way smarter than this because of what you previously seen in the film that uh, he was capable to do. Uh, he was one step ahead of everybody. He was manipulative. He was just, you know, and I, that's what I love so much about it is like, this guy is just on his game. Like he's, he's a sneaky little bastard. I just love how he becomes like the star of the house. And you know, the scene yeah. where, where the he, mom brings him that awesome breakfast and the dad's like, Oh, here's my, yeah, egg. which actually wasn't even the dad. Right. He was like another tenant who was just like kind of dating the mom. I, I was unsure about what was going on in that relationship. I, th- I think it was, I think it was the stepdad actually. Like, I think they were married or so. I don't know. I'm not even hundred percent sure on that either. Good point. Yeah, but um, he's doing all this stuff on purpose. He's he's trying to be too good to be true. Like he's get, mm-hmm. he's he's unknowingly like to him it, to to the outsiders it looks like he's unknowingly skillful at everything. Of course, we know that it's premeditated. Um, mm-hmm. And there's just something so interesting about that, like spy, uh, you know, double agent, like in it, you know, infiltrate the family and trick everybody that is so interesting to me uh you know it's almost kind of like in in a voyeuristic way too because they they'll say things and do things because they don't think that he would understand or pick it up because he's you know supposed to be slow uh but really we know that he's not so we're seeing Mm -hmm. all this stuff it's such an interesting dynamic i i really love this film it's this I just love the them. switches, man. I love the switches from scene to scene where he was just like the way they edited it. Yeah. You know, it's like he's he's Martin, he's George, he's Martin, he's George. And it was yeah. like quick scenes, man. It was just the way it flowed well. Yeah, he's I, he's I, like being Georgie and the girl feels sorry for him, right? Be like she's she's a nurturer at heart. She wants to help this, okay, this guy. Speaking of, speaking of that, that is actually one of the things about the film that was kind of bugged me at time from time. I'm like – because she was so – she was really wanting to, you know, help him and, and, you know, believe that he was, you know, a child and stuff like that. But there was like certain things where, you know, she's starting to catch on. But don't you think that the average person would have probably start questioning a little before or maybe not question it because it's probably not right to question it? Yeah, I don't. I think it was done all right, man. I didn't really feel like like she should. She, like who the fuck? I felt, I felt like she found well, out when I was she more was asking a question. Yeah. Okay. I was just more asking a question. Like if you felt like, you know, that progression actually was believable, you know, as the film went along, because, you know, because in reality, you know, if someone was at your house, would you ever question that they were faking it? Probably not. You know, as a viewer, you see her and you go, you go, well, why aren't you catching on to this? Because we know as a viewer that he's multiple person or he's doing two different Mm -hmm. personalities. But, you know, but if you put yourself in her shoes, would you ever question her or just accept it? That's all I'm asking. Uh, I'm a very uh, – because, I mean, it's pretty hard to question. Like, you you would never really want to, 
you would never try to let yourself believe that someone yeah. is fucking faking this yeah, shit. Yeah, but I'm a very skeptical person, so I would probably figure it out or at least accuse somebody faster <laughs> than the normal person. Well, I like I'm, you know, I'm a very pessimistic person too when it comes, you know, in reality. Um, but at the same time, I don't know if I could just sit there and go, dude, you're fucking faking this yeah, man. Get yeah, the yeah. fuck out of here. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there were so many good things that I liked about the film. Um, you know, like you said, how he can just switch it. Like one moment you see him at the library and then the next minute, minute he's smoking and he's like, fuck this horse shit book. This thing sucks. You know what I mean? And you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, just fantastic movie out of all the ones that i watched that i'd never seen this was the most surprising to me because i was like how have i not heard of this and why does have i not really heard anybody talk about this one um overall i come in right where you came in with a nine out of ten uh potentially it could even go up higher i definitely want to pick this one up i actually rented this one when i seen it uh great 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 movie uh super enjoyed it love the theme everything there was to it great stuff what was the rating again <laughs> i gave it a nine out of ten same as you Not, i don't know why i keep i don't know why i keep fucking missing your ratings there anyways my bad um i'm an asshole <laughs> <laughs> all right number three we have uh bergman's hour of the wolf i actually saw this film probably 2012 yeah i say it's 2012 you guys know i go to this uh 24-hour horror marathon every year and um during one of the years i think it was 2011 the first year i went they showed a copy you know a print of hour of the wolf and um you know i, I fell in love with it. this was pretty much before i was really really into art cinema this is you know if you guys know bergman Definitely, definitely, definitely an art house film for sure. And, um, you know, I wasn't really into Bergman at this time or even, you know, really into art cinema that much. And, uh, it was just a really, really beautifully shot film. And it's a strange, 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 strange film. Probably the strangest film on this list, which is what you kind of expect from any type of Bergman if you guys are familiar with, with Bergman. But, um, you know, you you know what you're gonna get. It's just an absolutely beautiful film, but it's really really confusing. I know me and JP had a conversation about this when he when he told me he was watching it, and that um, it's definitely a film you have to watch a few times to completely understand what's going on with it. But that's usually the case with Bergman films. You know, his films are confusing, but you know that's what he's known for for making the viewers think. And um, you know, I think we don't see that too often anymore in in art house cinema i mean you got you got some good stuff but nobody i don't think you're gonna have a, a legendary director like bergman or you know godard in a long time so if you guys have a chance hour of the wolf one of bergman's few horror films um he's you know he he's he's a guy like kubrick who is able to um dabble in multiple genres and pretty much be successful you know it's not like Kubrick. He has some bad films and thing, not bad films, but not good films and things like that. But uh, you know, he has a pretty, pretty damn good track record. And it sucks that we lost him, you know, a few years ago. I think it was two thousand, mid two thousands, if I stand corrected, because you know he he is one of the one of the top premier art tours. So if you guys get a chance, pick up Hour of the Wolf. Uh, it's out of print. Um, MGM released it. 
And uh, I would not expect Scream Factory to pick it up because that's not a film I think we would see Scream Factory be releasing just because it's a really, really artsy movie and it's very strange and weird and it doesn't fit the Scream Factory uh, standard. So hopefully we see either Criterion pick up the film or it's just going to sit. You know, it was really hard to get – not really hard to get. It was hard to get for a while, but it seems like now it's not too expensive. You could find it online pretty easily for 10 bucks or so. So you guys get a chance. Pick up Hour of the Wolf. It's just a really awesome film, but um, be prepared to watch it multiple times to fully get a good grasp on it. Hour of the Wolf, great example of Bergman's um, you know, thinking, and it's just a great film. Uh, eight and a half out of ten. Moving along, my number three is already been mentioned by, of course, JP and something, or you know, we did a main review on it again, uh, and that is Spider Baby. Um, again, you know, not really a whole lot to say about it since we did, uh, you know, a full length review and stuff, but it's just one of these films that I just absolutely adore. I think everything about this film is just fantastic, and it's strange, and it's just kind of. You know, when you first watch this film, I mean, it's definitely not predictable, is it? No, you know? it's it's out it's, there. It's it's totally out there. It's strange. It's got weird scenes, shot in beautiful black and white. I don't know. Yeah, I, I it, just, it almost feels a little grindhousey as well. It does, man. Like, you know, ah, Jack Hill did such a great job with this film, but Spider Baby, I'm going to be sticking with my rating of nine point five out of ten. Nice. I, so, all right. My number two film from the year 1968 is the George A. Romero classic, Night of the Living Dead. I actually just revisited this one today uh, in preparation. It's been a couple years since I've seen it. I felt like I needed to give it a rewatch. I thought about watching the colorized version just out of curiosity, but then I was like, I've never watched the colorized version. Yeah, I I was thinking about it because I I remember when I ordered that Salem's Lot – uh, before it was re-released, when it was still out of print, and I got it like super cheap. It, it was a lot, and it came with uh, Night of Living Dead, the colorized version. She was like, "Should I?" And then I was like, "No, no, I got, I got to stick to the original classic black and white for purpose of the, you know, the show." Um, but I do want to check out next time I watch it. I swear to God, I'm watching that colorized version. Um, so yeah, Night of the Living Dead. Obviously, I mean the creation of zombies as we know them. A group of people. Uh, enter a farmhouse after there is sort of uh, these ghouls, these people who are just kind of stopping at nothing and just an onslaught and attack. Uh, one of the characters is Barbara, who uh, you know was vacate or not vacationing, visiting a mother's that her mother's grave with her brother when she be- gets attacked by one of the people. Uh, she then enters the farmhouse, uh, gets spooked to shit. Uh, another character by the name of Ben shows up and is kind of like the hero character. He protects her. She remains comatose for damn near the rest of the movie while him and the people that were hiding out in the basement are kind of button heads. Mr. Cooper, he's a dick. Ben. And it's really sort of an ego thing. And I, I really kind of noticed that at the time. Like, it, it is, you know, at the time of watching it this time, they're not really worried about who's right and wrong anymore they just want they just want to be right for the sake of being right after a while you know it's not about like survival anymore they just like one has his idea that wants to stay upstairs in ben and the other guy mr cooper wants to go in the basement where he feels like it would be more safe um and at a certain point it feels like they're no longer talking about what uh 
way is actually better. It's just more of like, you know, I, I'm the leader type thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, which is played out really well. There's a lot of social commentary, stuff like that in this film. Uh, I just love <clears throat> that fucking siege narrative dude and this does it so well this is one of the best films to do it ever a bunch of people trap i remember the first time i seen night of living dead still one of my favorite movie memories i was on the edge of my seat that entire movie i will say it doesn't have that effect on me so much anymore and i crave that effect i wish it would come back i i swear anybody out there who has never seen night Mm -hmm. of living dead um, you know, whether it be just a young kid or, or, or somebody who managed to avoid it all these years, um, I guarantee you the first time you watch it, you're going to get those same feelings because it's that powerful of a movie. It's a, it's an amazing movie, uh, that was way out of nowhere in terms of just like the brilliance that was shown. Um, and I think that oftentimes <clears throat> people just kind of almost forget about it because watching it now where we've seen so many zombie films and stuff like, yeah, you know, it's a little dated and stuff, but at the time, this had never been fucking done ever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's something that is just incredibly mm. original. Uh, I love this movie, dude. It, yeah. I, I kind of found a re, uh, like, I found a new love for it because I've always loved it. But watching it this time, I was like, I remembered why I loved it so much in the first place. That first time I watched it, it's it's one of the best horror films ever made uh, in terms of a horror film. Like I say with Texas Chainsaw. Mm. Uh 10 out of 10 on Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. All righty. So coming in at number two for myself is also George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead. Um, well, what can I say about Night of the Living Dead? Cooper is the biggest ass. He's one of the biggest assholes ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but isn't it interesting how it played out though, right? Oh, yeah. It is interesting. Uh, I recently got to see this on the big screen uh, a few months back, and yeah. it was just so enjoyable to see it on a huge screen. Like, I mean, you know, I've watched Night of the Living Dead so many times over the years from like little ass TVs and just the progression. Yeah, it on the right. Big screen it's was one of those just... films that you've seen, like, seen in <clears throat> every way possible, whether it's on like yeah. an old like tube TV with the bit like back in the fucking nineties, like on a late at night public station with fucking Elvira or something. There's so many mm-hmm. ways to see it because it's public domain. Yeah. One thing I've always loved about Night of the Living Dead is that, you know, it is a really, really low budget film. But to me, it always feels a little it doesn't feel like a huge budget, but it just feels like there's more to the film than just that low budget, you know. Um, And the other thing that's always captivated me about this film is the lead in the film, of course, um, Ben, played by Dwayne Jones. Um, Being black, you know, it was you know, this is why this film is so influential, you know. It was interesting. And I really like the way George A. Romero explained this in the in the documentary. He's like, you know, you know, it wasn't even about, you know, trying to break any grounds with having a black man star in a film, which was really unheard of for those times. I think it was like one of the first films ever. Um, I mean, you know, in a starring role. But basically what George Romero said is that, you know, he got the starring role because he was the best actor. <laughs> I love that about this film. Which is legit adds- as hell and ahead of its time. Yeah, it's just so interesting how that came about. And, but, you know, the Night of the Living Dead is just the start of something. You know, it was the start of zombies. It's just everything. It's something and like that you will said, outlive it's, us all. 
it's a horrific film and just the whole idea and everything that happens in this film is just so original and Romero is really a genius for doing this. Um, but like I said, I, I just love the way this whole film is, man. Like the opening scene in the film with the zombie, like I'll never forget the first time I seen it, it scared the fucking shit shit out of me man yeah this is a scary <laughs> really movie it really did scare me man and, and and this movie to me is so claustrophobic too because they're in this house and you're going mm-hmm. the fuck are they gonna get out of this shit man like there's it's fire, almost like there's when zombies they do, there's death when they do open the door for whatever reason like you almost feel like this this heat disappear and like a cool wave of like fresh night air come in like you can like f- yeah. like i picture that's what it feels like because I'm so in it. Like I'm, I'm in that claustrophobic feeling. And when mm-hmm. they, you know, everything from the radio mm-hmm. broadcast, which are done so well to, uh, the scene where they go out to the gas pump where it's just like a simple mistake, just fucks everything up. Like, and it mm-hmm. seems really real. To- <clears throat> and you know, one of the, you know, like when they're, that's a good point with the, the, uh, broadcasting and stuff, you know, the interviews towards the end of the film, like, Oh yeah. You know, you know, the, the journalists are doing the interviews on TV and stuff. Um, I never realized how much I love that until I watched Dawn of the Dead. And the beginning of the film is, you know, in the TV station and stuff. And Romero has a little part in there too and stuff. And, uh, you know, they're doing all that kind of journalism and it just has that real type feel to it and stuff. You know, after just kind of relating the two, man, Romero captures that so well, yeah. you know, in his films. You know, just like how that reporting, it's like fast paced. It's like it's going down right now and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's why I love Dawn of the Dead so much. And, I mean, not just because of that certain scene, but, uh, you know, Night of the Living Dead. Wow. I, did, I didn't realize how much I loved it until after, you know, watching Dawn of the Dead a thousand times <laughs> and kind of relating the two. And I'm just like, that's so cool how he does that. He kind of brings that in. But, yeah, there's a lot to, you know, talk about Night of the Living Dead. But yeah. fantastic, fantastic film. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Ten out of ten. Two tens right there, baby. And, you know, I – Number two. Got to give it to um, Polanski's Rosemary's Baby. Now, this film, you know, really, really, really created the occult genre, in my opinion, or really exploded it into mainstream cinema. This movie is so fucking ahead of its time just because of the fact that, you know, um, there wasn't films like this in the in, in the past. Um, it definitely in this kind of death. And, you know, Polanski... Just like, um, you know, Bergman, but not on the same level, a very, very, very talented filmmaker with a great um, background on cinema. So to see him, you know, come here to America and uh, given a chance to do some films, you know, he does some films, you know, in Europe. So he comes here and he picks up Rosemary's Baby and he just fucking nails it and um, – it just has some crazy characters. The the old couple. Oh fuck! What's their name? Um, I watched this movie last semester. Uh, I can't remember. It starts with an R. I know that. They are hilarious. And the scene when they're at eating dinner, and it's um, Mia Farrow's character and uh, her husband eating dinner. Um, so when they're sitting at dinner with uh, Rosemary and Guy, it's Cassifet. I was close. I said it started with an R. It's all the way at the end of the fucking al- uh, alphabet. But when we have Rosemary and Guy and Minnie and Roman sitting at the table, their interactions is just great. And the way Polanski um, you know, manipulates the camera in that scene is just really fucking fantastic and really, really good. And uh, I, was, I was really happy that this film um, you know, got the attention 
and the um, you know the price that it did because it's a really 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 good movie and like as, as you guys know we haven't seen many Oscar nominated and winning films in the horror genre you know besides The Exorcist you know this not doesn't happen very often so see this movie get an Oscar it's really 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 nice so if you guys haven't had a chance to pick up the Criterion release of Rosemary's Baby do yourself a favor because it's a fantastic fucking transfer and a really, really great film. And uh, if you guys haven't had a chance to see Repulsion, which is Polanski's uh, film that he did before, Rosemary's Baby, you can pick it up on Criterion Collection from 65. And it's really, really, really a great film as well. And there's some, a whole bunch of interesting things going on in that film too. So got to give number two to Rosemary's Baby just on so many aspects of what it did and how it revolutionized the genre and the occult film and possession and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's really great. Rosemary's Baby, you know, it's an absolute classic and a bonafide, amazing film. Nine and a half out of ten. So, feel that our number one is the same film, at least it better damn well be. Um, So, do you want to just kind of mention it and then we'll just both talk about it instead of doing the uh, me and you? Okay, my number one is Rosemary's Baby, of course, from Roman Polanski. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my number one film is uh, The Astro Zombies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Could you imagine? No, Rosemary's Baby, oh, yeah, it, it's just, it's brilliant. It's amazing. It's a film that, like, I had just seen in 2013 for the first time. I know that because I have it marked down when I watched it because I document all my ratings now. Um, and this is another it, really scary film. Yeah, I had given it a nine out of ten when I first seen it. Yeah, and I got to say, my rating has definitely came up. Uh, there's so much layers to this film. Uh, oh time it is it is like i i don't know what the word for it is but it's, it's stuff that like kubrick does where everything seems and hitchcock everything seems like it has a purpose every yep. scene every dialogue every motion movement camera angle everything feels like it was thought out and predetermined before the film was made and mm-hmm. that it shows it fucking shows dude it, it is, is roman polanski he's he's pretty yeah, he's pretty meticulous when it comes to this stuff too. So, I mean, you can really tell the the quality of filmmaking in this. I mean, ah, <laughs> oh, Mia Farrow, yeah, amazing in this film too. Um, the way that it all plays out, I mean, it's a long movie, but you never feel like it's just yeah, like anything. It's like what two and a half, two and a half hours or close to two and a half hours or something. Yeah. yeah. It, I don't know, man. I don't really think it feels that long when you watch this film because it is so intriguing and intense. And, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, there's so many layers to it, which is a good thing in a long film, I think, though, because oh, it keeps yeah. you thinking. It keeps you thinking and, you, and you're always trying to explore everything that the filmmaker's showing you like they do in this film. Um, you know, and you, you keep thinking about things you're like, what the fuck? What the fuck, man? But that that that's pretty interesting that your rating's gone up though that's good yeah the uh neighbors uh the they're very peculiar and weird and um it's just they have this this thing about them where you know something's quite a little bit off mm-hmm. uh and then as the story unfolds and it and it does this like page turning plot where it's like it's not 
it, it, it's like a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And you're just so engulfed in the idea of what's going on. And you're, you're following this character who is really like, I, she's really in the movie. Like you really follow her. Like, I think she's in like most of this. I can't think of many scenes that she's not in, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, she just is there the whole time. So you really feel, you know, a connection with her. And also as she goes through the film, it's like she she looks worse and worse and worse as she goes and it's not done in like a you know like prosthetic like way where you see like you know you know bad mess like you know it's not done in that in that typical way <laughs> like like, it, like the film was actually taking a real toll on her yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> but you know a- a- everything from the from the start to the very end is just that. I mean, that very end is, is something unique and just, you know, I, I mean, God damn it. That, that is an amazing ending. No, it uh, really is. I love it's like, that it's, ending. It's one of the best endings probably, you know, in horror film history, in yeah, my opinion. And one person like <clears throat> says something it like, there's like a, a, a phrase that's uttered out and I, and it just like sends shivers up my spine i'm like what the fuck <laughs> it's so good dude it's so good i really want to get the uh criterion release because i do just have like a five dollar dvd um oh it looks so beautiful man i i i, I need to revisit this one I, unfortunately i wasn't actually able to revisit it for the show i knew that it was my number one so i try to get to a bunch of other films that i hadn't seen uh you know but i definitely yeah. have to watch this one again it's that was kind of like it was me too long for me to, you know i was like maybe i should try to squeeze it in but it's just too that long was, that was like kind of like me too i haven't watched it since uh, jeremy sent me the the criterion blu-ray so but uh no it's just an amazing cinematic experience man you know it's fuck could you imagine watching this film back in 1968 it like really it is came. like when you look at this list of films when you have shit like the green slime and you have shit like you know brides of blood and then you see like on the opposite spectrum where you have a film like rosemary's baby which is so big and grand and is just mm. something it's on a whole nother level like the 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 peak of levels that you can be on mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. really amazing yeah it really is so yeah, Rosemary's Baby's ratings. I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured that Night of Living Dead's a 10, so we got this one higher. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, yeah, also 10 out of 10 for myself. And it's a very well-deserving 10 out of 10. I stand by it 100%. And I, I would be curious to you know, hear somebody that would give it a 7 or something because I, I would love to know why. <laughs> yeah, that that would be very interesting. I mean, yeah. maybe because it's a little long for them or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? It'd be interesting. Number one, um, it's kind of obvious what we're going to have here as you guys listen to episode 50 and recognize that what our number one most influential film of the last 50 years is, you know, you got to have Night of the Living Dead as the number one film from the year 1968 just because of what it did. I know we talked a lot about this uh in the last episode and how it, you know, changed the horror genre forever and the culture that we know of zombies that's even, you know, especially today is just booming and exploding. So to have, you know, a film like this come out low below budget, not much money, you know, guys just with cameras going out shooting and pretty much changing the genre forever as we know it. And if it wasn't for night of the living dead, 
I don't think that the horror genre would be the same that we see it today just because of the fact that so many things were influenced by the film between zombies and themes and the themes of the zombies and the things that are going on in this film narratively that we don't that isn't flown in your face that I think it just it's it's a really just a fantastic film and uh, if you guys want to hear you know more thoughts about this about the film just listen to the past episode 50 if you guys haven't listened to it and you will hear um you know all three of us thoughts on the film because it's truly remarkable and a really awesome film now you're living dead it's a no-brainer guys you know for what it did i gotta give it a 10 out of 10 so do you have any honorable mentions uh honorable mentions yeah i mean i do um the ghastly ones i really enjoy that film i actually reviewed that on uh body bags at one time i believe it was during video nasty week or something like that that one's pretty fun it, it's really grimy and it's really shitty but it's fun <laughs> <laughs> you know seeds of sin is another one that's pretty fun uh the blood of fu manchu that one's an interesting flick uh destroy all monsters i really enjoy yeah, that um, one was that one I actually caught last night, and you know that's definitely an honorable mention. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of those, you know, giant monster. Like they're really cheesy and stuff, but I do like them. I'm just not like mm. I'm not obsessed with them, or I can't watch them all the time. But they're they're fun. They're fun. I had fun with that I can one. See, I can see that though, man. If you're not a huge fan, they're probably not going to be the best thing for you. The Green Slime I found is pretty fun. It's a really yeah. Bad that film. that's an honorable mention of mine as well. Uh, but it's Green so Slime much cool. fun though. It's so much fun, though. Yeah. Um, the uh, documentary that I just reviewed, actually, The Strange World of Coffin Joe, I recommend people watching that, especially if I you've never... I that one. What's that? And I almost watched that one until I realized that it wasn't, like, like the Coffin Joe movie, because I was like, well, this, I don't want to... Like, it'll just be... Oh, I need yeah, to see this, the movie first. It's actually quite interesting if you see this, and you know, because you learn a little bit about, uh, you know, Coffin Joe himself and stuff, but... Yeah, I mean, that's about it. I mean, there was a bunch of other ones I didn't really care for that I've There's seen. There's one... Sucky Biss uh, by Jess Franco's a sleaze ball. I started film. watching that one. I, I couldn't really get into it. No, it's I mean, it's Jess Franco, right? It's very yeah. hit and miss. It actually does get better, though. It, My least favorite during this journey was The Blood Beast of Terror. Awful yeah. movie. I think he gave it like a 1.5 out of 10 or something like that. Uh, one that I was wondering if we was going to include in Mood Said No was Planet of the Apes. And, you know, it's not a horror film. But it definitely is like a sci-fi, and there are horrific elements to it. Uh, kind of that like outsider, like like captured type shit. Um, I think when you think of Planet of the Apes, you think of the sequels, which are very, very, very unhorrorish. But that yeah. first one was a little dark, um, mm-hmm. and that's a great movie. That I really yeah. Like I mean, if we had to include Planet of the Apes, it would have been in my top ten for sure. Yeah, it's a good film. Um, but overall, I'm I'm. I'm cool with the fact of not including it because these these other films are more horror-ish. There, I like you said, man. There's a lot of films from this 1968 where it feels like I need to watch it a few more times to really like fully grasp it. Um, and you know, Karukino, that was definitely one of them, as well as yeah. Alan Wolf. I know. I've always wanted to see that one, man. So, got to check that out in Targets. Uh, one that I didn't get to. Uh, chance to see obviously that Kira Nurko or whatever uh, was uh, Fear Chamber I think that was another Boris Karloff film oh uh, yeah you know another see. one Spirits of the Dead this one was on a lot of people's um, top 10 list that uh, I, when I was doing research to see like the most popular titles to check out first mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. it's actually an anthology based on Edgar Allan Poe shorts and I can't find oh. it anywhere 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Curse of the Snake Woman. That's another pretty good film from '68. Uh, uh, it's released by Synapse Films. It's pretty interesting. I believe it's Japanese. I think so. So, I do recommend that one. JP dropping in one more time before we get out of here, guys. And as you guys know, me and Moods recorded this episode together, the top 10 horror films of 1968 segment me and him did together, and Jeremy lent in clips afterwards. So as we was recording, I had a pretty good hunch that there might be a film or two that would get a high enough rating, a high enough combined rating, that is, to be inducted into the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror Hall of Fame. I didn't know for sure because I didn't have Jeremy's picks or ratings yet, but it turns out I was correct with my hunch because not only one film, but two films had a high enough rating to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Those of you who don't know, basically a film must receive a rating from all three hosts that totals to be 28 or higher. The first film that's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this episode is Rosemary's Baby with a combined rating of 29.5. That's a 10 from me, a 10 from Moods, and a 9.5 from Jeremy. Shame on you, Jeremy. It should have been a 10. Rosemary's Baby definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. It is truly one of the best horror films ever created. It is just a film that so many people hold in such high regard, and it is absolutely deserving of that high regard so that film will be inducted i'll get to that after the episode posts and i'll have it up on the hall of fame page the second film to make the hall of fame this episode is george a romero's classic 1968 zombie film night of the living dead coming in with a perfect rating of 30 that's 10 from moods 10 out of 10 from jeremy and 10 out of 10 from me It's a classic horror film. It's one of the best ever. It is a true example of a horror film, much like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It is one that I do feel uh, does stand the test of time and will be considered one of the best horror films for the rest of history. All right, guys, I'm getting out of here, but I just couldn't leave this episode alone knowing that two films had a high enough score to be inducted into the Hall of Fame and none of us commented on that. So I'm very proud to announce those two films and they will be up on the website. I think it's really awesome and I can't wait to put more films into the Hall of Fame next season. I'll see you guys next time. Later. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I think that's it, guys. Uh, that this will be our last show until uh, some point in the summer. Yeah, that is going to conclude episode 51 and season 2 all at the same time. Yes, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I'm not really too sure how long this is going to be. <laughs> it's but the I got last a feeling one. That I think we did a pretty uh, pretty lengthy one here, so hope you guys enjoyed it. And, of course, thank you for everybody that phoned in in the season, left voicemails. We really appreciate that. Hope to see, or hope to hear from you guys in Season 3. Um, but And, yeah, and congratulations to all the winners. Those packages will be sent out as soon as uh, we get a chance to send them out. So get those addresses in and so we can get them sent out as quick as possible. You got any last words, JP? Yeah, you know, uh, I really enjoyed preparing for the 1968 show. And next season, I look forward to doing a top 10 of 1969, possibly 1970, and so on and so on. I I, I love the idea of, of, you know, 
finding and watching a lot of these films that I'm unfamiliar with. Uh, as well, you can guys can check us out on the Facebook group. We're going to be active there, even though we're not recording podcasts. Keep it, keep keep the activity going because that is. I mean, how many times a day do you visit the group page, dude? Uh, a few times. Yeah, a few <laughs> times. Uh, I'm used to on there. You guys can follow us on Twitter, Twenty Two Shots Podcast. You guys can also send us an email. If you want to send us your addresses or ask us questions or whatever, that is 22 shots of moods and horror at gmail.com. As always, you could visit us on the website. We've been very active on there lately, and we're going to, you know, with a lot of downtime from the podcast, I'll definitely be posting a lot of stuff on there as well as moods and Jeremy. Uh, that is www.22shotsofmoodsandhorror.com. Uh, definitely check that out. Our YouTube channels, you should know them by now. Uh, check those out as well. And I believe that is it. Jeremy might make an appearance on this episode. It's up to him. Yeah, we're not 100% sure. So, but with that said, guys, thank you once again. We had a great time in season two. Hope to see you in season three. And peace out. Later.